Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, this is Michael Adams. It's nothing but the truth. One man's journey to find it. It's April the 22nd, 2015. We have a special guest here to, tonight, uh, Keith Hansen, otherwise known as Visigoth. And um, we'll talk a little more about Keith, and uh, then we'll talk with Keith as well. But uh, I mentioned to Keith that I would like to start out with doing a little reading. It's not very much, it's just about a paragraph. From Dave McGowan in his uh, Facebook page, uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. And I thought it was kind of apropos for this time, and also uh, it got a little bit of his sense of humor. Um, it says here, The fake alternative media, with, with blowhard in chief Alex Jones leading the charge, has been heavily promoting the notion that Walmart outlets have been closing recently so that they can serve as detention centers. There is, though, a far more reasonable explanation. It's uh, pretty pathetic when the LA Times has a more honest take on things than the supposed alternative media, which has also been heavily promoting the absurd notion that there is an ISIS training camp just over the Mexican border. Based on an obviously fake story that was uh, planted by uh, a judicial watch, specifically for Jones and his fear-mongering brethren to run with. And I just, for me, I don't know, I was laughing my head off, especially when, earlier when I saw that, it called uh, Alex Jones blowhard in chief. I just love that. So I just wanted to read that. Normally, you know, I read uh, <clears throat> more heavier uh, headlines, but I just don't feel like dealing with it today, to be honest with you. And plus, we're going to be talking about some real heavy issues in a little shortly here. So um, I love Dave. I love his sense of humor. I love his wit. I tell you. And, uh, of course, most of the people that probably listen to my show would not like it because, well, let's be honest, folks. An awful lot of you are pretty self-righteous in your stance and things, especially when it comes to your religion. Sorry, but that's the truth. <laughs> uh, now, a little bit about Keith. Now, Keith is, uh, and, uh, and I'll ask him more. But the, first of all, I've been mentioning and I've been uh, playing some of the audio and actually doing some readings, actually, from... Um, thinkorbebeaten.com. Now, Keith Hansen and others are uh, very insightful folks that he's managed to gather up, like the informer, James Montgomery, uh, of course, Gordon Comstock and others. <clears throat> he's managed to get them on here, uh, interview them, 
uh, share some of their teachings and what their understandings of what's going on in this world, I strongly recommend you folks check it out. Think or be beaten.com. Also, you can listen to such things in the series, The Amblick Files, which I have listened to all of them, and I'm now going through it a second time. <clears throat> the first time, it's a ton of information. You probably want to have a pen and paper if you're going to listen to this, these conversations because you're going to be learning things that you most likely have never heard before in your life. So, And uh, the name of the show, we... Keith wanted to entitle it um, Be Angry at the Sun, and it's a poem. And I'm going to read this poem, and then we're going to get into talking with Keith. This is from Robinson Jeffers from 1944. Once again, Be Angry at the Sun. It starts out, The public men publish falsehoods is nothing new that America must accept like the historical republic's corruption and empire has been known for years. Be angry at the sun for setting. If these things anger you, watch the wheel slope and turn. They They are all bound on the wheel, these people, these warriors, this republic, Europe and Asia. Sorry about the delay, I'm going to scroll down. Observe them gesticulatingly. I did not say that right, sorry. Observe them going down. The gang serves lies. The passionate man plays his part. The cold passion for truth hunts in no pack. You are not conticulous. Is that how you pronounce that again? Keith? Fellows. Catellus, thank you. I, I knew I was going to butcher that. Um, you are not Catellus, you know. To lampoon these crude sketches of Caesar, you are far from Dante's feet, but even further from his dirty political hatreds. Let boys want pleasure, and men struggle for power, and women perhaps for fame and the servile to serve the, a leader and the dupes to be duped. Yours is not theirs. And I find this poem to be very profound. It's the first time I've ever heard of this poem, Mr. Keith, a couple of days ago. And uh, every time I look at it, it's just like, you know, this is a pretty profound poem. It's really what I, I don't know what everybody else is going through, but I can I feel it. I recognize it. So, And with that, Folks, this is uh, Keith Hansen. Keith, thank you for being on the show. <laughs> How are you doing? How are you doing, my friend? So far, so good. I just had a, my computer crash and I'm trying to rectify it and get it back up on the run here. But I guess it's as good as it's going to get for right now. So that's that's an omen, I guess. But at any rate, yeah, uh, that poem I first encountered. Uh, in a book by Hunter S. Thompson called Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, 72. And there's another poem in there, too, that's pretty profound by Francis Villon called A Stranger in My Own Land. But this Be Angry at the Sun, I mean, we kind of kid around and call it really, I mean, human civilization in 30 seconds because he hit about everything. He wrote this in 1944. Mm -hmm. And... um, 
I mean, what really gets me especially is that paragraph or that, I guess, stanza says, let boys want pleasure and men struggle for power, and women perhaps for fame, and the servile to serve a leader, and the dupes to be duped. Yours is not fair, and especially, too, the gang serves lies. The passion of man plays his part. The cold passion for truth hunts in no pack. And that is absolutely bona fide, 100% rock-bottom truth. And you see that today, uh, you know, I mean, even in the patriot movements and all these alternative movements that kind of think they get it about the government and all this other stuff, they they behave the same way that the masses do whom they ridicule. It just comes with the flesh, and that's all there is to it. And the cold passion for truth hunts in no pack, I mean, that's beautiful. The only thing I can think of that can come close to that is an uh, enemy of the state that was written by the Norwegian Ibsen. When, he, when the uh, protagonist uh, says the majority is never right. And I tell you, I thought that was an overstatement, and really, it's not. You know, everybody wants to be in a group where they feel safety. They want to be part of whatever they think is right. Uh, and if they, they don't have the moral rectitude to stand against a, a, a group. And that's what we see out there. Am I part of that? Absolutely not. And I can say that proudly, and I pay my price. But that's just the way it is. I couldn't do it any other way. You know, after 64 years living on this planet, I've seen enough. And I'm just not going to go with what I know not to be true. And that's how I got to what I did uh, about 13 years ago with the first program. Because I right. knew something was right when I was growing up. But, you know, you're young and you're chasing skirts and you're doing other things. And you don't think about, you know, the real important stuff. And most people don't even think about it today. But I just didn't see life necessarily following what we were told in our history books. And that failure to reconcile both uh, drove me to, to in, in 2000, you know, turn around and say, okay, look, before I uh, shuffle off my mortal coil, I think it's time I take a look and find out, you know, if there is somebody behind the curtain. And, and here we are today. So, But this poem, I think, is key. Robinson Jeffries uh, was a poet who had some popularity. But, you know, and here's... Here's part of the built-in hypocrisy of a supposed republic, or whatever you want to call it, democracy. It's all garbage. And I'll just read this little blurb. This isn't from Wikipedia. This is from another site. During the late 30s and 40s, Jeffers' genius was judged to have faded, and many of his references to current events and figures, uh, in parentheses Hitler, Stalin, FDR, and Pearl Harbor, for instance, in parentheses, raised questions about his patriotism in a period of national strife. The Double Acts, uh, published by Random House in 1948, even appeared with a disclaimer from the publisher. Now, here's what bugs me. Everybody runs their mouth in this country about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all this other stuff. And when somebody goes ahead and exercises freedom of expression that may be uncomfortable, um, may be controversial, what's the first thing they want to do? All these Constitution others, shut the person up. Censor him or her. And so Jeffers really took it in the shorts because of this poem and his writing. But he was absolutely, I guess, crestfallen and upset about World War II especially because, as he had said, and I'll paraphrase this, in order to go to war, um, people have to, I guess, relegate humanity to a secondary spot to uh, uphold the collective drive toward war. Yeah, absolutely. 
and patriotism. What's patriotism? What is that? All I ever hear about patriotism is when the government wants to tax us more or send young men and women over to die. That's yeah. patriotism. I mean, I, you know, to me, the United States is a corporation. That's what it is. I was born here. I work here. I obey the laws. I don't, you know, I'm on my own business. Do I love it? What am I supposed to love? I'm not sure. What am I loving? Do I love people? Do I love the government? Do I love, I don't know, 50 states? You know, don't you love your country? No, not really, and I don't not love it. To me, it's a corporation, and I have to deal with it. And, I mean, if, if people right now are going to get their backs up about it, that's just too bad. Because think about it, really. What do I care about the flag? It's a logo for a corporation. And, if you will, a cult at that. <laughs> it's an, and all of them are. The flags are occult logos. That's all they are. You want to hear a little story about how, how crazy people are? Sure. <laughs> that tell us about how crazy people are. <laughs> uh, I write for a newspaper, and I and I um, what was it about? I, I just questioned the Christianity of this country, given that the capital. First of all, what is the District of Columbia? What is Columbia? Does anybody know what Columbia is? All right? Right. Are you familiar with this? Uh, well, I know that uh, District of Columbia, Columbia is actually a goddess, right? Well, the thing standing out in the York Harbor is no and it's consistent. Well, how come the Columbia is so replete with occult symbolism? If we're such a Christian country, explain to me the obelisk. <laughs> you know, in sight of, of the feet of the I have no This has been one of those days. Could you try to repeat right. that one more time? <laughs> Let's see if the, you're cutting that in and out. You, for some reason, you're cutting in and out. I don't know if it's. I don't know why that is. I don't know what's causing that to do. I had to get a new headset, my friend, uh, today because it was, it was dying on me. So um, I want to make sure that we had a, a decent recording, and now we're having this. So I have no idea. Probably because Keith Hansen's on the show. Therefore, we're going to have problems. <laughs> well, <somebody. laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. 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 I'm not kidding.
Yeah. I hate to do this, but hey, listen, I'm going to have to uh, ask you to hang up, and I'm going to call you back and see if that works. Because man, it's really bad. I haven't had this kind of problem in a couple months, but it's really bad. The audio is you're you're breaking up, and it sounds like a robot. So. Okay, I'll tell you what. If it doesn't clear up the second time around, you're going to have to cut me loose then, all right? Okay. Let's try it. The audio I got if you want to do that. All right, I'm hang, I'll hang up now. All right. Okay. All right. Sure enough, things like this happen, folks. It never seems to cease, no matter what. Every time I have somebody that's, uh, especially somebody I want to talk to on this show, I get... Stymied. I get somebody who always seems to end up um, so I have to call him back. I apologize to everyone, including Keith. <clears throat> this is ridiculous. But it's par for course. This is what you know what how many times have anybody's ever listened to my show? How many times has somebody heard? The same thing over and over again. The same thing. It happens every time. I cannot. I don't know why they keep doing it. Well, I know why they keep doing it to me. Because they don't want us to know about the truth about things. And it seems like it's always the same thing. It's always the same thing over again. I don't know how many times I've had this problem. So, anyways, hopefully this will be the end of it. Hello, please leave a message. Hello? Hey. How you doing? Let's see. Talk to me, will you, friend? <laughs> is this any better? It is. Did you, what did you do there? Huh? That's Skype, believe me. That's, when you were talking about Skype and how great it was, I had, I want nothing to do with it. It screwed me so many times. I said, that's it. Because sometimes it just gets a little catawankus, and that's the end of that. Yeah, well, you know, I, it only seems to be that way with important interviews that I have. Never that way if it's... Uh, not to say that uh, none of my interviews are, are important, but it seems like the, the, the bigger the name out there, the more likely the problem. I don't know what that well, is. <clears throat> shall I go back to the story about block talk? Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, you're not kidding. You're really not kidding. I mean, everybody thinks that, you know, you, who cares if you're being listened to, whatever. I don't the thing is, we did a show on block talk. Big Jim in Illinois um, did it out of, um, out of his place. And I, I phoned in. And we had, we were just a new show. We were getting a great following. They wanted to go ahead uh, and feature us as a bullet, like one of the hot shows. But when the week came and we were going to be featured, it didn't happen. I didn't think anything of it. You know, I, I took note. I said, oh, all right. We do the show on Flight 93. And during the show, Jim is emailed by who, whatever jerk that runs that thing or was like, you know, the overseer. And um, he told us we were done as soon as the show was over. He refused to archive it, and he said, don't ever come back here in any other manifestation because we'll find you. Get that? Uh-huh. That was it. 
Now, the thing that always puzzled me was exactly when did they decide we were too hot to handle. Uh, now, who I had on the show that day was Killtown before he lost his brains. Huh. And um, we had a number of people calling in who were trying to unmask Killtown. And I wouldn't put him on because the show wasn't about Killtown. It was about Flight 93, and I just happened to be talking to Killtown about it. Uh-huh. But, so I don't, know, I don't know exactly who did what. But now that Killtown has turned into an old planer and, and hooked up with Fetzer, um, that's not good. And so I'm not sure, but, you know, it's, it's just the way things are. And that's what I was talking to you about, that, you know, you, you start an organization, you start a movement. By the time you got your third member, you've already been infiltrated. And the yeah. point is, how much damage can they do? I agree with that. I, I really do. I agree with what you're saying. I, in my own personal experience, let alone what you're saying, is that it's the group is bad news. Period. And I honestly, this is how I, I see things, Keith. There, yeah, there's you know the higher ups, you know, there's whatever the CIA, whoever it is involved, NSA, whatever. The truth of the matter is, the greatest source of censorship is actually the group itself. Doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? You can get three guys together, four guys. I mean, this is my, my experience over and over again. And if you're honest about anything or you, like, challenge anything about, you know, especially the group leader, um, it's, it's not very long until you're in, in the outs. You know, it's just human. I, it's the human condition. It's human pride. It's the ego, you know. Um, well, I mean, but just think of this, okay? You can have a thousand good people, and they'll get a lot done. You can have one rat, and he'll cause more trouble than the 1,000 people did positive things. I mean, I mean, if you want to take an example, how many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve, and one of them was bad. Yeah. That's heavy duty. Um, but in these movements that are supposedly going after the truth, and this is what I said, you know, and I guess in the audio that uh, you've lost uh, in the beginning of this audio, um, these, these organizations are infiltrated right away. And to me, it's a planned failure, and they more or less just kind of don't do anything else except substantiate their own existence. They become some kind of like, you know, Cheyenne Social Club. And they think they're <laughs> kicking butt, and they're not. Yeah, you're right and, about and, that. And, well, I, I mean, I had enough that I didn't want to be bothered with them. I mean, what I saw in the New York 9-11 group and the D.C. 9-11 group made me want to hurl. And I know, I mean, the kind of stuff that was going on there was embarrassing. It's only the people who are willing to go out in the street or hold, you know, lectures, if you will, or a seminar or a give and take, like the Uticans for 9-11 Truth did up in New York, where they go to a venue, I mean, a one that would kind of guarantee somewhat of a civil crowd, like a library or something like that, and they would share what they had. Now, they had their irritants, and those people were trying to obfuscate and such, but you have to do that. But these these idiots, they just get together, they tell each other how good they are, and they hold a protest once a year, and they think they're kicking butt and taking names. And they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did my stuff out in the street, and I, and I admit, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm retired. But I have to laugh when I see these groups continuing. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to do this for 30 years? When does this ever end? Where's the fruition? I mean, where do you get anything done? So, I mean, that's the problem with things, especially when it's an unpopular situation. But it's an amazing technique to see people come in and take over an organization and, frankly, bully their way up to the top. And how many people will stand there and take it? Unbelievable. So 
you know, what we were saying. It's endless. It doesn't, you know, when I was involved with East Timor action, that's how it was. When I was involved with, uh, you know, this whole thing about the MGOs, that's what it was. Everything, every single organization I ever tried to be a part of, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what topic it is, it, it ends up that way. You know? Yeah. It's it's really quite disturbing. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you can say what you what you read from McGowan, and I mean, I groaned out loud. I mean, when I heard you heard it, uh, what you, what you wrote, because I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, are they still going at this? I mean, how many times are you going to have something on the Mexican border and, and Walmart's and, and detention center and all this stuff? And it's like, you know, I've never seen a movement that produces no results and claims victories for wars they never fought, you know, for battles they never fought. They just sit there and they all think that they're kicking ass because they're listening on the Internet and, st- and sending stuff back and forth. Yeah. You know, I'm like, really? You know, and I hear these pronouncements by Jones and others. Well, there's thousands coming to our side every day. Really? How do you measure that? How do you know that, Alex? How does anybody know that they're coming? You know, you're not even making a dent. You know, and I mean, you know, mention Alex Jones' name in a supermarket. Nobody will know who he is. And all I'm saying is that nobody can get their message out unless they get on the major networks. Otherwise, frankly, you're just whizzing in the wind. And I, I know that's not anybody's fault, like Jones and such, but the point is this thing has become so incestuous, so, like, self-perpetuating. And then, but, but the people just think that they're just changing all the dynamics, and they're not. You've got to be – I don't even want to use the phraseology. I mean, what is wrong with you? You know, I mean, really, what have you changed? Nothing. You know, well, we got him on the run. you got nobody on the run. And that's, that's one other thing, too, with Jones. Oh, we got him on the run, and then he'll, he'll tell you he's got him on the run, and then he will regale you with three hours' worth of stuff that's happening to us. <laughs> being per, you know, being per, uh, perpetrated by the very people we supposedly have on the run. And these idiots who follow him just lick it right up, man. They can't suck it down fast enough. Mm-hmm. Do you think those people are going to get anything done? No, they're too busy listening to Alex Jones to get anything done. Well, I tell you what, Jones is partly <laughs> responsible for me opening my eyes. But there came a time, and it only took about two years, when I realized, you know what? This guy's not shooting straight. And in 2003, after rightfully talking about the government and its, shall we say, adversarial nature uh, toward its people, despite the fact that it fakes like it's his advocate and it's a nurturing uh, entity, he goes ahead and starts stumping for Ron Paul. Oh, our last great chance. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Government is corrupt. And it doesn't matter who gets in there. You're not going to get in there unless you're corrupt. And I'm going to tell everybody right now, your next president is Jeb Bush. Get used to it. I don't sure. care what, everybody, what everybody's doing. It couldn't matter. You're getting Jeb Bush. It's already done. And mark my words. So my point is, why is he now stumping for Ron Paul? But it was around 2003 as well that all of a sudden Jones' enterprise kind of expanded exponentially. He moved to a tonier zip code, opened up, I think, five um, LLCs, and you can find out about this on a website called alexjonesmachine.com. Mm. There's a woman that was involved in that uh, laid it all out. 
Now, I'm not jealous of Jones whatsoever. I just know that he's already gone over to the dark side, and what he's about is keeping people on their backsides in front of their um, computers listening to his show and all the other shows that tell you, oh, this is the truth. Oh, this is the truth. And you know what? None of them are the truth. <laughs> so, and that brings us to one of the reasons why we get together, because with Gordon and Eric the Blacksmith, you know, we'll be sat down and said, listen, you know, <laughs> the patriots are, are believing in the same mythology that most of Americans are. We need to get our government back. I hate to tell you, but it was never ours. Oh, we need to get the Constitution back. The Constitution was never ours. You know, we got a voting good government. Impossible. So as long as you keep doing that, you'll be doing it forever, and you'll think you're getting something done, and you're not changing anything. Because the fix has been in for over 200 years, right from when they threw out the Articles of Confederation for the Constitution. Not that the Articles were the end all, but it represented the way that the colonists, now new members or residents of their states, wanted it to be. But the Constitution federalized the 13 various states and put them inside the control of the federal government, which is exactly what the colonists, now state citizens, did not want. They didn't want it because they knew exactly what they were being brought back into, and that's what they had over in Europe. Right from the very beginning, and what's downplayed, all the revolts and rebellions that popped up when these people realized what took place in uh, beloved Philadelphia in 1787. They realized right then and there they got swindled. But that, those voices have been suppressed at some time. Yeah. Right. What I'm saying is everybody's talking about the Constitution. It wasn't written for us. And that's all there is to it. And now I tell you what, I know I'm going on about this, but if, if you want some books that will explain to people the way things are, you want me to give them to you now? Um, sure you can. Uh, or, you know, can you wait till, towards the end to do it so that it really sinks into some folks' heads, you know, and they can find all it? Right, I, can, I can give you a book list as well, but this is not, I mean, okay. this is not something that, but you, you, know, but that you, we, you can You can bring up some books now, absolutely. Go ahead. You know. I mean, what happened was, is, is the deeper I got into looking at the way of the world and also what was going on in the United States, one of the things I it finally came to, a very unpleasant, uh, I guess, supposition. I hadn't proved it was true or false yet. I was just saying to myself, is, is the, whole, uh, the whole thing about America a myth as well? And then I ran into an individual who went by the name of the informer mm-hmm. and a colleague of his by the name of James Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And they had been working along these lines for years, and they really weren't attached to any radio show. They were on one website in particular, and that's it. And that's when I asked uh, the informer to come on. He's just, he just passed last year from cancer. But I asked him to come on, and that's when things started to pick up. And I realized Americans have been propagandized into believing they can't be propagandized. And we're all, you know, we've all fallen for it. So uh, that when I realized that was the truth, well, then, you know, what else is there? I mean, I just realized that there's going to be nobody coming to save us. There'll be no turning anything around. This thing is so far gone that, I mean, frankly, you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. The dreams, you know, of... Um, overthrowing the government and all this other stuff are just that. They're just dreams. Well, you know, what you're speaking is the brutal, honest truth, and I know that 99.9% of 
folks out there don't want to hear it, don't want to accept it. But I have a question for you since we're talking about this. And one of the things that I've noticed, Keith, is that you've been attacked quite a bit uh, by a lot of these quote unquote folks that represent the alternative media. Um, <clears throat> I don't put no point in mentioning names, uh, but the question I have is for, for your experience, because you've been doing this for a while. Why do you think they're attacking you? Is it because they, you know, what is their agenda? Because my, my impression is almost, you know, a lot of these guys are on the alternative media. They're trying to make it their livelihood and a name for themselves and make a buck off it. And, you know, I think a lot of times, I might be wrong, but it seems like a lot of these guys are, are just attacking you because if people really took you serious what you're saying, well, there's no point in listening to them, is there? <laughs> there's no point in wasting our time listening to them. And there's no money for them. And there's no recognition. They can't sell T-shirts and videos and, you know, whatever they're selling, you know, whether it's, you know, five-year supply of food storage, whatever it is, there's no point in listening to them. Look, I was on GCN as a guest. I was on GCN as a guest host. I had a working agreement with... Uh, a producer or two. I was friendly with one of the co-founders, Michael Trudeau, mm -hmm. who started a GCN with Ted Anderson. Um, so I was there. But I realized that this was a bunch of crap. And the reason why it is, and, and you just said it, just like major networks, these networks need money to run. I understand that. I got it. And people get on there and they want, they have to pay for their airtime, and yeah, a lot of them want to make coin off it. Uh, the power hour is one of the worst. I mean, I, you know, I, never mind. <laughs> At any rate, I mean, after a while you sit there and you hear about all these, all this chatter and this inside news and these, uh, well, look for this and look for that and this is going to happen, and none of it comes true. None of it. None, none of it none does. Of it, not a little of it, none of it. But you see, and I hate to say this, but after a while, if you don't understand what's going on, that they're working people just like a carnival barker, then you know what? You are a feed. You are a feed, and that's all there is to it. And you know what? Most of them are thieves. So they're in there, and they're all preaching the same stuff. Nothing ever changes. I was there 13 years later. It's the same as it was back in 2000. Nothing changes. Hmm. Now, take a look at this. I'm sorry. Did you want to jump in there, Michael? Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, it's a reflection of our culture. And if you're really honest about it, folks, if you really look at your own life, I look at my life, from public school to church, your church, to the television, to everything in your life, is, you're, it's, you're taught to, and you don't even realize it until somebody like yourself, Keith, speaks honestly to you. You don't realize that you've been taught all your life to be a liar. You're a con artist, and you're a, a, a salesman, and you don't even realize it. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what people do. They just go around like a, I, it's, we go around like bobbleheads, just lying all day long to ourselves and everybody else. There's a difference between me. Look, I bet, I, in a sense, look, it is not jealousy. Believe me, because I could have had it if I wanted it. They were willing to set me up, GCN. Right. But it was right about that time also that I was looking at the way things were going, and I'm saying there's something not right on this side of the block, meaning the Patriot side of the block. And let me give you a couple of examples. Um, 
one time I hear John Moore and Statmiller, this is when they've gone over to RBN, and they're talking about how there has been this mobilization of troops, the likes of which, I mean reserves and such, the likes of which haven't been seen since Pearl Harbor. All right, I forget how many years ago this was. So I hear this and I'm like, oh, man. So I go and I contact a listener who was a Naval Reserve fighter pilot. I said to him, listen, do you know anybody in the Army who could substantiate this or debunk it? And he says, all right, let me contact somebody. And he contacts a captain out in Texas. And he says, is this the case? The gentleman, the officer tells my contact, he said, listen, we are calling up a lot of reserves, and that's because we've got to rotate soldiers out. I mean, because this was going on. I mean, the war was going on and on and on. He said, no, but, but one big fell swoop, he said, no. He said, continuously, yes, but any kind of big mobilization, no. You see what I mean? So mm-hmm. I go back on the air, and I'm saying, this is bull crap. And this goes on all the time. I mean, Joyce, what's her face, um, on a power hour, how many times did she tell us that the Seventh Fleet was leaving going over to the Mediterranean. I mean, how many seven fleets are there? I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm like, how many times can a seven fleet go out? And, and other people would start writing and going, you know what? That's what I was thinking too. Da, 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 da. All right, fine. You know, when she would have this chatter, oh, I heard chatter. And the chatter never came to anything. And how about this one? Chinese soldiers, right? Ooh, remember that one on the Rio Grande? You, you were around for that one, Michael? Uh, you know, uh, I... I I didn't pay attention to that stuff, so but you go ahead and tell me about it. I got one to share. Oh, no. I mean, I heard all oh, this Chinese soldiers and all this stuff. There were a couple, bunch of wackading hoys out of New Mexico that were going on about this. I'm saying, how far do you live from the border where this is happening? You know, just a short time. I'm going, why don't you take the camera? Can you take a telephoto camera? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. Are they down there? He said, yes. I said, I'll tell you what. Let me stay overnight. I'll go down and take a look. Would you put me up? Well, I, 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 you know, it's full of crap. <laughs> Nobody could take a picture of Chinese troops on the, on the uh, Rio Grande border. And, I mean, take a photo so that you could fix that it certainly was the Rio Grande border. You know, uh-huh. not like some Hollywood back lot. All right. Never happened. But everybody, oh, Chinese troops. <laughs> so this is the stuff that goes on, and these people swallow it. When someone makes predictions and they don't come true, I think I may not listen to them anymore. And so I walked away. And here's another proof positive. In the early days, I'd say around 2002, a number of us, I did not lead this movement, but I was in on it, were going to Alex Jones and saying, listen, why don't we start a national group with state chapters? Alex, you're the lightning rod. You're the 600-pound, now 700-pound gorilla. And you can be the point person and never didn't respond, didn't want to know about it, turned us all away. That's why I have to laugh when he decides to put out his scepter and, uh, shall we say, knight certain people that he wants to deal with. But he would never get in touch with us. Not a thing happened. And then the Tea Party came along years later. And within a matter of months, they had a, they had a kicking website up and they were doing protests all over the place. How did they do that? How did they do that that we couldn't do that? Yeah because there was the will to do it, the money to do it. I know the Koch brothers supported that, and they're a bunch of Nazis anyway. I have to laugh. These soccer moms who believe in the, the Bill of Rights and all this stuff, well, these Koch brothers are the same ones who are behind GMOs and Big Agra. Yep. So the food that the, the soccer moms won't feed to their children are the same ones that are back in the Tea Party. But be that as it may, we could have done it, but Jones didn't want any part of it. 
He would never dialogue. He would never return emails. He wouldn't do a thing. He wouldn't even acknowledge that anything like that was happening because he wanted to run the show, and he wanted to bottleneck the whole movement, and he did it. But it can only be bottlenecked with people who are servile and want to follow a leader. And I'm sorry to say, most of the people out there in the patriot movement wouldn't know what to do if they couldn't follow somebody. You know, I mean, the whole social dynamic of the Internet and social media, I mean, to me, just shows how absolutely pathetic Americans are. Yeah. I've never seen adults turn into five-year-olds as quick as when they get social media. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I like my privacy, and I, all I ever see is worthless and hurtful talk going back and forth. You're right about you that. Know? <clears throat> You're absolutely right about okay. it. So anybody that's attacking me, it's because I'm going after their enterprise. I never took money from anyone. If people donated, I didn't ask for it. Whatever's going on, on the website now goes to the webmaster and the support of the site. I don't sure. take a dime. I never did. Because nobody owns me, and no one's going to tell me what I have to say. And this is in a time when we've seen people go left and right with the money put out for them, like Eric John Phelps, unfortunately. Yeah. It was very pivotal in, in my education, but, you know, played to the money. So. Seems to happen quite a bit. The pressure's there for a lot of folks. So, you know, for me, my, this is an interesting experience that I had. I don't know if it means anything to you, but, uh, you know, we've heard since, uh, you know, the the tsunami there in Japan, the Fukushima has been spilling out radiation now. It's going on, what, four or five years? And every year, the plume is coming, the plume is coming, right? His first big report was like, I think it was it 2012 or 2011. Then it was last year, and then it said this year, and now it's saying 2017. And I've had uh, James Japan and James Arnett a couple times on my show, and he's close. He's been come close to me. He lives out there in Japan, and I asked him. I said, "You know what's going on over there?" So he went and had a, did a little trip for us, and uh, nothing. He says, "You know what? They're farming. They're doing everything. There's like a five mile radius around where the nuclear plant is. That's kind of you know it's off limits to most people, but everything else around the people are busily farming and doing everything." And he said, "It's really not that bad." So, you know, it's just one more example of how people – so why did they keep bringing up this whole thing about the the radiation plume is coming, it's coming, it's coming? Maybe it already came. Who knows? The odds are maybe it came, you know. How are you and I going to track that? How are we going to do – but I know one thing. Somebody sold a whole heck of a lot of vitamin supplements and iodine tablets and charcoal tablets and all sorts of things, you know be a real good reason to why to keep on pushing that, don't you think? And it's just one example of endless examples, not only on alternative media, but also in the mainstream media where they're just constantly fear-mongering for a profit. They don't really care about you folks. They don't care about me. They don't care about anybody except their own pocket. That's what it comes down to. And so you gotta you got to challenge everything. That you that people tell you, give me, show me, like you said, give me a picture of the the Jap- you know, the Chinese uh, military on the on the border there. Can somebody please give me a real picture? <laughs> Come on. Right. You know, let me tell you about a story I got involved with. I, I once wrote for the American uh, Freedom Press, and they're they're garbage. Now they've turned over to be Jew haters and everything else. But I was there for a while, and I would write stories that were just I mean, I had a train. I mean, I, I worked as a reporter for decades. Mm-hmm. 
So I would do stuff for them, and it just wasn't, it wasn't sexy enough. And they would gin it up. And one of their things is that, oh, we don't sensationalize. The heck they don't. They say sensationalize everything. And just like you said before, have you ever seen a more neurotic bunch than the Patriots? They're not happy unless they're worried about something. And this worrying goes on and on and on, but it never goes anywhere. They yeah. never do anything about it. They just sit there and listen. So at any rate, um, you know, writing for them finally got to the point where it's like, look, come on. You know, you keep messing with my stuff to the point where you're actually writing new stuff that's in it. That's not me. It's not my byline. I want no part of it. One of the last stories I did, though, was one of, one of Alex Jones' devotees, a young man who lived in North Carolina, um, mildly autistic, diabetic, um, lived with his mom, father not around. You know, and he's on his website and, and making all kinds of allegations and all this stuff, but that's okay. What happened was he was involved with a lawsuit uh, brought by a supposed, uh, what do they call it, Corp- copyright holding company. There's a bunch of lawyers that were looking to find people that were using stuff that was copyrighted to others. However, this is what happened. This young man took photos off the Denver Post website, which they had no problem anybody using. You know, give them credit, and that's fine. But this particular company bought up, and this is just one example. There were 50 or more of them. They bought up those photos and did not put it that it was the copyright or the property of this holding company. So what happens is they send out at this time a wave of 42 lawsuits that are going to be heard in the federal court in Denver. And this kid is basically wet in his pants. I can't blame him. Of course, they threatened him, and of course, he made a big mistake by answering them and trying to get him off his tail and admitting that he did so. Bad move. However, there's a, there's a good story to this. There was a law firm by the name of Santangelo, I believe it is, out in Colorado, who knew what these characters were doing out of Las Vegas, this copyright holding company. And one of the lawyers took this young man's case pro bono. And they went to court, and uh, they won. Because, and this is very rare, the judge that sat over that case knew exactly what these other characters were doing. Now, you've got to respect copyright, which is not done on the Internet. I get it. But, you know, if, if, if this company wanted to be fair, they would have put that it's the, the property of. And then you don't use it. But they wouldn't do that. So how are you supposed to know? So they're trapping people, and this judge was hit. And he dismissed not only that one, but that company, I mean, that look of firm of Barracuda lawyers were in trouble because he was sitting over the other 50 cases too. <laughs> hmm. And what happened was, the, the, the case, I mean, he had to pay a, a dollar for damages, the, the kid. Um, <laughs> but my point is, you know, this is what we have, though. We have people like this. A lot of them are at home all day long for whatever reason, and they get involved in this Patriot stuff, and when it really hits the fan, of course, they want to run into the mother's skirts. I can understand that. But that's the way the world is out there. And when you're home and you're just popping off and you're putting stuff out, you know, you're not getting involved in the nitty-gritty. If you got involved in it a little bit, you might think twice about what you do. And I think that's the case with most of these people. That situation with this particular good law firm was amazing to me. But i got to tell you one other thing I did. I was supposed to stay neutral on this, and I usually do. 
but I was watching what this kid was doing on his website, and when the good law firm, um, I don't think I, Santangelo might have been there. I got to watch what I say here because the law firm that was good might have been Santangelo out of Denver. Okay. Uh, this kid was going on, and he was popping off about the victory and all this other stuff that you know he got from a lawyer. And I'm like, holy mackerel, you can't be doing this, man. Now, as, as a reporter, I should have not done anything. You know, I should have just said, hey, look, i got to stay neutral. But I couldn't do it. So I contacted the lawyer. I'm saying, hey, you've got to take a look at what this kid's doing. He's going to blow this whole thing wide open. And, certainly, and sure enough, the lawyer contacted this young man in North Carolina and said, knock it off. And he did. So, and I had a laugh because one of the things that we've been telling people is that private persons cannot go to federal court and use the Constitution as a protection or a remedy. Right. And that's one of the things that was in uh, the informers' books. I think the secret history of America. It was language from Powellford versus Georgia. And not the only case where this is this has been stated. But the language is that the Constitution is a compact, but the private person is not a party to it. The states are, and only they can use it as a remedy. All right? Right. What does that tell you about the Constitution? You cannot go into federal court, a court of admiralty, and use it. And I asked the lawyer, I said, is that not true? I said, this was not a First Amendment case. And he said, yes, you're right. And I, I could hear him smiling on the other side of the phone. Uh-huh. And he said, however, he said, it would have a chilling effect on the First Amendment. And I started laughing, and he started laughing. The point being is that he knew it was right. Only these lawyers who go to federal court understand what happens when you go there. And you might have a sign across the top of it saying, abandon all hope you do enter here. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that we've been telling people about, and that's the, one of the things that, the, that these patriots don't like. The Constitution was not written for us. It was written for the founders and the government. And they're the ones that are protected by the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights wasn't written for us, we the little people. It was yeah. written for them. Most of them wouldn't sign on to the Constitution unless that Bill of Rights was added on. So we did constitutional rights on a local level, mainly because the, the law enforcement and ju- judiciary don't know any better. But when you go into federal court and want to mess with the big boys, then it's a whole different story. Right. <clears throat> you know, going back to what I was bringing up, too, about all these other alternative media outlets, websites, and whatever, you know, these there's so much. There's so much out there, you know, and uh, you know another impression I have too is that a lot of these guys probably know what you're saying is the truth, but they're not going to admit because of their pride that they're wrong. I mean, I don't know if you, I'm sure you don't listen to too much of my shows, nor do you have a reason to. But if you were to ever listen to my shows, you would see me always correcting myself, especially the past couple months. Whenever I put my foot in my mouth, I try to bring it up that I was wrong. You know what I mean? I because it, really the, my show is really just my journey of learning. It's really I, there's nothing else to it than that. You know, I'm not trying to change the world or get a follower or anything. I just figure this is a way to push to push myself. You know what I mean? To push the issue and grow. And I know if I just did it by myself, I would not do that. I would not learn. I would just so this show has been a kind of a way for me to to learn. You know what I mean? get out of myself because this kind of stuff is it's, it's time consuming you know it takes time to do it so but anyways um i see all these other guys and I, I got like a half a dozen in my head right now 
and you know who they are, and I know you've already had a confrontation with these names, and I'm not going to bring them up, but you know them cause I know. <laughs> because they feed off the fact that you know, that they know you and that they call you this, that, and everything else. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys are pretty bright guys. They have to know that what you're saying deep down inside is the right thing, especially when you're talking about the Constitution and what our, 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 this, this quote-unquote country really is all about. Um, man, what is it just a pride thing? Do you think it's just because is it, is it, if, if, you, if you get honest about stuff, are you going to lose, like, your following? What, you're going to lose half your people? What What is the issue? Why won't people just... You know what I mean? What is it? Why is there like a handful of us that care about the truth and everyone else is just pretending? You know, just, hey, you're worried about the truth, but not really. If it costs us money, then we're not going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think that it's a point of pride because they would have to admit they're wrong. I, don't, I really think that that's like either non-existent or the smallest reason. And I may be wrong. I don't know. But what I, what I do feel is the major factor, and that is, one, they want to perpetuate the lie because, well, one, they may be profiting by it. Two, it makes them feel good. See, freaking Americans, I'm sorry to say, and I'm really trying to keep a lid on this, but, I mean, they just, you know, they've been watching too many movies. They have to have Hollywood endings, big guy wins in the end, blah, 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 blah. And if that isn't out there for them, they don't know what else to do. If you tell them there is no, there is no remedy for what's going to happen, there's no antidote for what's coming down on this, this is history. This is what takes place every so often. As I talked to you uh, the other day, if you want to talk about what a bad deal life is, I said to you, what happens if you were a child born in Warsaw in 1930? Yeah. And you're, and you're five and six, and you see these crazy guys coming in goose-step, and it's like, what's this about? Little do you know, you're going to be in a world of hurt for, what, the next 10 years? What do you tell people like that? Oh, there's a good... Yeah, there's that movie, Jacob the Liar. Did you ever see that? Jacob the Liar, no. All right. That was about uh, Robin Williams played the part of somebody who like, was telling stories to everybody in a concentration camp to make them think that help was on the way. One of the lines was from Robin Williams, oh, the glorious Russian army. Well, that never happened, and, and Jacob the Liar was executed. But he, he gave people false hope. But in a situation like that, you could say, well, is that wrong? You know, maybe it's not. But the bottom line is people can't complain, and they can't think that sooner or later Americans especially are not going to find themselves in the crosshairs of a very, very bad situation. You know, we all think that we're, like, almighty and nobody can kick our butts and we're going to be this way forever, you know. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's a national hubris here that is going to go for a big, big fall. Do I want to see it happen? Absolutely not. Are you crazy? But if you can't see what's going on around you, if you can't realize that what's happening to us has happened to other empires, going back to Robinson Jeffers' poem. All empires. All empires. Yes, they all fall. (laughs) It's the reason why this happens. And we were bred to this particular time, the 20th century. We've been in war since the turn of the 18th into the 19th century. I should say 19th into 20th. Spanish-American War is when we had our first preliminary bout. Mm-hmm. What you, you want to call that a war, my goodness. <laughs> but after that, we just kept fighting. And Smedley Butler, I'm sure you're familiar with him, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
And here's a guy that was a brigadier general in the Marines, and what was he telling everybody? War is a racket. Yeah. He was just serving serving uh, corporate America and, and corrupt America, right? Gangsters, and that's about it. <laughs> but I mean, so how do we debunk Smedley? How dare he say that, you know? Semper Fi, man, he was a Marine, but he, he, he called it what it was. So what, so what do you have to do? We have to denigrate Smedley Butler so that the message isn't true. But the message is true. And we're coming to the end of our run. We were, we were brought up. We were protected by European powers, and we were set loose for the role we were supposed to have, and that was basically the kick-ass on the planet. We were the global cops. We were the ones that brought democracy everywhere. Really? Well, now our time is through. We're not needed anymore, and we're going to get kicked to the curb in a rather savage fashion, and that's coming in the not-too-near future. It seems to be that way. It seems to be that way. I don't know how it's going to fall out, but if you look how – the pieces are being put in place. It's. I would be very surprised if it's, it doesn't happen in our lifetime. I really would. <clears throat> but I, I. I don't think it's going to fall out the way you know all these fear mongers say it. You know what I mean? I, you know they're. I right. think it's. It's going to be an inside job, just like it always is. So. I well, think there's, let me say hmm. this. Try this on, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I alluded. To, um, to you before about some works that I thought the dark side put out there to give us a wink and a nod as to what was going to take place. Um, one of them was Lord of the World by Robert U. Benson. Right. In 1994, Zbigniew Brzezinski wrote The Grand Chessboard. Now remember, this is 1994. Mm-hmm. When I read the book, I was just taken aback because at, I think at least twice in the book, he mentioned that the United States would be unwise to agitate an axis of Iran, China, and Russia. And I'm like, that's interesting. What's We're going do- on there? <laughs> All right? We're doing it right now, aren't we? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. And I mean, when I first started doing this show, when I was in other shows, I told people, we're never getting out of the Middle East. Forget it. I don't care where they move the material. You know, they move it from here to there. We're not leaving the Middle East. That is going to be our custer's last stand. That's going to be an ambush, and we won't know what hit us. And remember something. We're the ones that are the interlopers. We're the ones that have to have uh, both uh, water and air um, to supply our troops. The other nations are on land. They don't need to worry about anything. They can move anything at any time. We're the ones that are going to get caught in a three-way shootout, and we are not going to do well. Now, when I said anybody can read the chessboard, I find out that I'm, in fact, telling you the truth. Why did Brzezinski say that in 1994? And who's the boogeyman now after we got done with Iraq? Oh, good old Iran. That only popped up on the scene a couple of years ago. Suddenly, Iran's a bad guy. Yeah. Do I trust the news that we're getting out from the mainstream about Iran? Absolutely not. ISIS, where the hell did that come from? That's, that's today's al-Qaeda. I Nobody did... heard about al-Qaeda, and then one day we got al-Qaeda. Did you, you, uh, have you looked into that about the uh, two authors, one from Israel? I think that one from the States back in 1990-91. I don't remember the name of the book, but they had an interview on C-SPAN about ISIS. And they've, back then they were saying, well, ISIS, the acronym ISIS, they figured out actually stands, stood this back in 1990-91, 
Israeli State Intelligence Service. <laughs> That's what they were saying. So, which not that it probably is. I mean, it was. I mean, they're connected to all of us. They're 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 just part of this this, this system. So you know, we're they're they're not some separate entity in themselves. I mean, they're serving the empire. So. <laughs> I mean, look. First of all, the biggest slap in the face is ISIS, just and what ISIS is in the occult history. Yeah, right? yeah, ISIS horse that. Um, yeah. do, do we need much more than that? But the thing is, is that Al Qaeda suddenly pops up. We had this Arab Spring that suddenly happened. Yeah. And now we have ISIS pop up. And what makes you laugh is everybody talks about Al Qaeda and how they did this in the 1980s. I challenge anybody to go and get a book published in the 1980s that mentions Al Qaeda. Everybody's got this back history, this backstory to it that never existed. Right. Now, people would say, well, why would the West do that? Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? Well, check this out. Who financed the Bolshevik Revolution? Huh? We did. The West. Absolutely. <laughs> Trotsky got prepared on the east side of Manhattan. Yep. American bankers sent over $20 million of gold to um, Lenin. That all was set up by us. And then after the Bolsheviks took control, who went flying over there? but industrialists under the guise of being a humanitarian legation. Mm-hmm. My butt. And then so, we go back to this whole thing, too, about the Bolsheviks, too, and just bring up just a little bit. I'm going to talk too much about but the, 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 the common theme is always if it doesn't quite work out or people figure it out, blame it on the Jews. Oh, I, believe me, I got no problem with that. <laughs> blame it on the Jews. It's a certain kind of fool who thinks, yeah, the Jews did it. Anybody who picks out a people, a race, a religion, they're already gone. Yeah. And, and these Jew haters are so virulent. It's almost like, you know, what happened to you when you were young? I mean, did your mother bounce you on the head down the steps or something like that? I mean, it's incredible. Look, first of all, I asked him, what's a Jew? Just explain to me what a Jew is. So I got it down, what you don't like. Is it somebody whose name ends in Berg, Steen, Witz, something like that? What's a Jew? The other thing is, unfortunately... Huh? It's a very good question. By the way, I've had other previous guests on who are very religious and fanatical about their religion, and I've asked them, I said, you know, uh, what, is, uh, what is a Jew? And you, you know what? I've come to this conclusion. Nobody can figure that one out. Honestly. No, nobody they don't can, want to. They don't know. I don't, I don't even know what a Jew is. Honestly, in the day, it's just a, a blanket term for <laughs> somebody who, you know, Believes in the Old Testament? I don't know. They're losing the Middle East. Anyone that worships on the Saturday? What the heck? Half, you know, half the people who call themselves Christians think they're Jews. What's a Jew? I don't know. But anyways, that's for another. No, but, but, but check this out. In one of the books that Gordon and I did, I can't remember where it's from right now, but one of the statements that was written about, it was brought up amongst the SS and Hitler. Like, what are we going to, I mean, how are we going to, like, uh, figure out who the Jews are? And frankly, he said, don't worry about it. You know, in other words, like, you know, take them all in, we'll sort them out later. They didn't know either. No. That, and it's that non-thinking, that no-brain attitude that is so scary, because what we've got here in the United States is another whole phalanx of brown shirts being raised right now. This is going to be interesting. Now, on the other hand, and by the way, believe Israel, huh? I say, by the way, folks, you know what? Who's going to be leading the march? It won't be the Catholics. It's not going to be the, you know, the Muslims. It's not going to be, you know, the Latin Americans. Guess who's going to be leading the march? Evangelicals, Christians. I'm totally convinced of it. They're the ones that are going to turn on us in the heartbeat. 
But I'm not saying the rest of them are not going to be involved in it, but I'm not saying the evangelical Christians are going to be right there in the forefront leading it. Because they don't think, they don't ask the questions, but they blindly believe their followers, and they honestly think that there's something special. They think there's something special above everyone else. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry for preaching. No, no. <laughs> but you see, you remember the statement or the question that was always raised throughout the decades about why no one stood up to Hitler Well, the churches didn't stand up. You know yeah. why? Because they were in lockstep with him. Absolutely. But you see, it's happening here that the evangelicals are like, no, 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 we're not Hitler. We're not fascists. We're not. Yeah, we are. That's where we're going. We are the, full, we are the fifth right. <laughs> and we don't even know it. I know you don't. Larry, I mean, Larry it, huh? I was going to say, I was going to ask you, like, since we're on that, and then we'll go to Larry. Um, what has been the one group that's, that's persecuted you or been the rudest to you? For me, it's actually been Christians. Oh, how's your, what's your experience been? All right, here's how I answer it. There are a lot of peoples, we'll say, who have some kind of a questionable past. But that's the way of all worlds. I mean, the problem with the Jewish situation is that there are people that are historic, I mean, and they have a history that was recorded. Right. And so whatever perfidies they may have, have committed, okay. But has anybody ever done that kind of a thorough uh, study on Germanic tribes, on Saxons, on Celts, on Anglos, yeah. on Mongols? Has anybody done that? So, I mean, nobody's without sin in this situation. True. Put out the, you know, the, hey, look, I grew up, I went to school, I played sports with a very extensive Jewish population. All right. I'm not going to tell you sometimes, quote, their ways aggravated me. But, damn, we're all people. You know, I mean, Italians can be brusque. <laughs> Who cares? But the thing also is, I mean, I don't support Israel as some kind of biblical prophecy come to fruition. Right. All that's in Israel are Israelis. I'm not looking at it any – I mean, do you think people are going Chabad every night? <laughs> are you kidding me? Prostitution, drug use? Well, you know, the, the reason I bring up the Christians is because that's what happens to me. And somebody who's trying to follow Christ, it's, it's really, I find it bizarre. I do. I, I, you're talking to a guy that a few years ago wasn't even believing in Christ. But since, you know, as I told you and Gordon, you two guys were instrumental in me actually coming to the Lord. Obviously not to a religion, but to the Lord and reading the Bible and the Word of God. And what I have found, hands down. People that call themselves Christians are the ones that treat me the worst, period. Whether in my world, you know, in my surroundings, or on, online. It's, it's not Muslims, it's not Jews, it's not, it's people that call themselves Christians. And I was like, what the heck? This is the, I was forewarned, by the way, I was, other people who said, you know, don't have high expectation of people that call themselves Christians. <laughs> and they're all right. So, and I'm not hating Christians. I'm not hating them. I'm not because I'm one. I'm, not, I'm trying to figure out why. How did we get so whacked? We really are. Go ahead. The word means nothing anymore. No, the word no. means nothing. And then here's the other thing, and this goes across all religions. Whatever 
a particular religion is going to be demonized, they take a lunatic couple and they hold it up as a representative of all of them. What about, what is it, that West Side Church? Those Christians that go to the funerals of soldiers and they protest? Are you kidding me? Is that what Jesus would have done? Are you got, I mean, where is your brain? But this is what's held up as Christianity. Same thing with Jews, same thing with Muslims. You know, I've got to laugh. I've worked with Muslims right over from the Middle East. You know when they got religious? Come Ramadan. Otherwise, forget about it. They drank, they smoked, they played cards, they stole. <laughs> they wanted to go home and poke the old lady. No, I mean, they're just people. I mean, how many times do, do Christians get religion? Come Christmas and Easter? And, and when I was playing ball in high school and college with Jewish kids, the only time they, they were religious is when Hanukkah came up. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the way it is for most of us. It's nominal religion. I, don't, I never saw any kind of pitched zealousness and nihilism on anybody. Right. But you know what you see on TV? You know, oh, yeah, you know, that's the way they are. But going back to evangelicals, it's like, no, they've been propagandized too. Absolutely. You know, I mean, why, do you get, why are you getting involved in government? Why are you getting behind candidates? Why are you becoming a candidate? What did the Lord say about getting involved in secular things? He made it clear on a number of occasions, let them do what they're doing. That's, this is not our kingdom. We have nothing to do with this. We're supposed to be obedient, follow the laws. It's good to stop at a red light, you know, because it makes society work. Yep. Now, there comes a time when we have if something that the government wants that comes in violation of what the Lord wants. Well, that's another thing. Is that civil dis- disobedience? I guess it is. <laughs> but other than that, let, let the government do what the government does. I don't care who's president. I don't care who's senator. What's going to be is going to be. And it doesn't make a difference who they throw in the Oval Office because that person comes up with nothing of their own volition. They're told what to do. And if they should stray from the script, they wind up dead. We have countless several times in our history. Yeah. Yeah, at least, right? (laughs) How many presidents have actually actually been uh, attempted, assassinated, and actually assassinated, you know? No, Michael. What that's wonder. not a rhetorical question. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on. Can you deal with this? Uh-huh. All right. Jackson had two attempts, right? Uh-huh. All right. Our fifth president, Jackson, had uh, seventh president, rather, two attempts. No, I'm sorry. One attempt with a guy who's both guns jammed. All right? So that's <laughs> an attempt that didn't, you know, didn't uh, uh, come to uh Conclusion. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. All right. Our next one is William Henry Harrison. Got a cold in 30 days. This is a guy that was out on the frontier fighting Indians and in all the elements. And yep. he gets a cold and dies in 30 days. No. Poison. <laughs> That's William Henry Harrison. Going on. Zachary Taylor. Same thing. Poison. Uh, James Buchanan, the predecessor to Lincoln. Poison at his inauguration, but survived. And. Um, that was a little hint to him to uh, stay with the program, which he kind of forestalled and passed over to Lincoln, who was a successful um, assassination. Mm-hmm. All right, now, and this is what cracks me up. In 65, you have Lincoln getting shot. Where's his bodyguard? Where's anybody? No one's around, and he gets shot. All right, so what do we do now? We go to what? Uh, 16 years later? Let's do this all over again. James Garfield walking in Union Station, flanked by two of his friends. Guiteau comes up and shoots him. That doesn't kill him. 
they have to go ahead and use their grubby fingers to poke around. These, these are physicians um, to get the, the, uh, the ball out of his uh, body. They don't do it. He dies of infection like I don't know how many weeks later in New Jersey. Did Gateau kill him? No, the doctors did. But that's an assassination. Then we go to McKinley in 1901. Now, by, by this time now, you know you've had two assassinations in recent memory. So shall we look around, especially that they had Secret Service now? So some guy comes up with a handkerchief around his hand and a handshake line from McKinley. You think one of them might have said, come over here, Leo. Uh, what's that you got in your handkerchief? No. He goes up, Leo Shogas, and goes ahead and kills McKinley. Beautiful. All right. We go on to Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, not attempted on his regular presidential reign. But when he came back out as a bull moose, somebody shot him. Um, and thank goodness he had a, his speech and he had his glass case over, in his pocket over his heart and it saved him. Right. So what that's about is another deal. All right. And now we go to FDR. Oh, no, we have, oh, we forgot about um, Warren Harding. Uh, foul play. Here we go to Roosevelt. Now, Roosevelt was with the mayor of Chicago, Chernak, I believe, and an assassin supposedly looking for Chernak, shot Chernak, and missed FDR. Now, FDR is a really interesting president, and I don't know if that was, quote, a shot across his bow to make sure he played ball or what, because apparently FDR did not want to implement the New Deal. The New Deal wasn't his. Right. They wanted Hoover, he wanted Hoover to do it, and Hoover said, screw you, I'm on my way out, you go ahead and do it. So FDR did it. And you might wonder if FDR also got off uh, in 45. Maybe he didn't want to drop the bomb on those little yellow people. So we don't know about FDR. Truman, uh, two uh, fanatics supposedly from uh, the Puerto Rican Liberation Army or whatever, tried to kill him in, um, oh, it's the house, I can't remember the name of it. He wasn't in the White House. He was in another uh, place. Well, I, I, I can't remember. I'll think of the House later on. Um, the assassins were stopped. One was killed. One was apprehended. And a, a Secret Service guy lost his life in this. Okay. So, so far, so, by the way, so far, we're, if you're a president of the United States, at this point, you've got a one or four, one or four chance to be the tenth assassination. So <laughs> it's really good odds so far. <laughs> Go ahead. And you got Kennedy. Okay. Two misses on Ford because the Rockefellers hired cheap and, and drugged out assassins. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is the beauty. Good old Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah. Ronnie was told he had to have Daddy Bush as his running partner. Why? Because the powers that be wanted Georgie to really be president, but they knew that he was unelectable. Ronnie also hated him. So late one night on the convention floor, Ronnie announced that George Bush was his running mate. Right. And everybody's like, huh? So what happens now? Okay, great. We got George in as vice president to Ronnie. Let's kill Ronnie because then George will be vice pre uh, president. And the assassins blew that one too, and Ronnie survived. And Ronnie also understood what the deal was. So Ronnie just did what he had to do. He, did, he was photogenic. He gave the great speeches. But I've got to tell you something that's funny about this. His cabinet used to go up in arms every so often because Ronnie would be given a speech to, sit, to uh, give, mm -hmm. and he would turn around and say, no, I like mine better, as he walked to the podium. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man. So 
So Ronnie would go up there and say stuff, and they would just turn purple. But you know what? Ronnie knew they couldn't touch him because he already tried to kill him once, and they wouldn't try again. Right. But during those eight years, Ronnie was a nice face on the presidency, but it was, it was uh, Daddy Bush that was running the show, and then Daddy got his own show for four years. But, again, you know, as soon as that happened, Haig and um, Bush said, oh, there's no conspiracy. Nope, sorry. Home diamond, no problem. Okay, okay, really? You knew, you found that out in 10 minutes? That's terrific. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I'm going to tell you there's a book by um, a man by the name of Joseph Dye, D-Y-E. Okay. And you can archive.org is a wonderful website, and you can find books of antiquity which will tell you the real history of the United States, which you don't get in school. Um, I'm just going to take a look to see if I have it here. Yeah, I do. And I'll give you the title. And you can, you can get this on – I can give you the link, or I can uh, just give you the title. Okay. This guy had it together. It was called The History of the Plots and Crimes of the Great Conspiracy um, to Overthrow Liberty in America. It was written by John Smith Dye. Okay. Um, and let me see. The year of publication was, looks like 1866. Of course. <laughs> yeah, right after the last one, as far as he knew it. What's kind of eerie about this whole situation was that his son was in the service. He was in the Army, and he was in D.C., and he was at Fort Steer the night of the assassination. Mm. And a newspaper account uh, carried what um, he had written to his father. The son said, I was out in the street, and I overheard what he learned later was Booth and someone else talking about the president and his coming out during the intermission between the second and third acts. He said, I had my hand on my revolver and was about to make a move, but I wasn't quite sure if I was hearing what I was hearing, and I drove a little longer and he decided it may have been nothing. Then he goes off to a restaurant to eat, and somebody comes flying through the door about 20 minutes later saying the president's been shot. Mm. So Joseph Dye's son was kind of upfront and personal to the plot to kill uh, Lincoln, uh, perhaps a half an hour before it happened. But Joseph Dye has written a great book about the medicine and the science behind Harrison's supposed cold, which was a poisoning, um, Taylor's, which was a poisoning. And understand this. The family had Taylor's body exhumed. They bring it to Oak Ridge Labs, which is a government installation at that time. And they come out and they say, oh, no, he had the, the normal arsenic that would be in a body. All right. Okay. Not a casualty. But God gives you the background as to why these presents were knocked off and why they um, – because they weren't playing ball, frankly – with the idea of spreading slavery in the United States and the European influences that were behind it. So there you go. Anyway, sorry that you asked that, but there are your uh, assassinations attempted and successful. And well, we call our politics civilized. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's like everything's a big farce, isn't it? You know, it's just, just uh, I don't know. I, I, I as a young Boy, I already had serious questions. So, but I, like so many people, blocked it out for the next twenty years, or you know, to 
yeah, my 20s and 30s, just getting out of life, like you said, trying to find a woman, getting laid, you know, all that kind of stuff, like you said. My music, my art, going to college, and, uh, you know, just trying to make something out of myself, you know, doing what everyone does. But I remember even as a child, as a kid, I was like, and I, it was interesting because in high school, people would always ask me, you know, what do I think about politics and all that? Because I was interested in it and people knew about it. And uh, what was wrong? And, of course, I didn't know. Then I was just a teenager, but <laughs> had no idea nobody was talking to me. But it's always been wrong. And, and I can tell you, even before that, my, my father was in the Korean War. And he, that severely affected him and the family. I also lost a couple of uncles in the Korean War, then had uncles in the Vietnam War, and then I had, you know, a brother in the, the military and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, by the time I was a young man, I I was very, not only suspect, but bitter what it did to me and my family, what it did to people around me. So, so it's been real easy for me to really uh, accept this kind of stuff. I've never been a patriot patriot type of thing because of the, my own personal experience and I just never bought into it. Then the, my ex-wife that I met you know, when I was overseas in England, I, uh, she was half Timorese and uh, East Timorese. And my experience with government there just completely soured me. <laughs> so I knew after that that it was just a big joke. But I never understood why. I never understood how it and who was behind it all. And I just thought it and maybe it still is the case. I don't know that maybe a big part of it really is just incompetency. I don't say it's. It used to be overlapping. There used to be the whole reason why everything was bad is because people are just stupid. It doesn't matter who you are. It's just incompetency. But you know now I understand. But evil, good and evil, that there are really evil men in the world and uh, and women that are running this show. <laughs> they don't seem to care much about anything but themselves and what they can gain and their heart their uh, their masters, you know. But uh, well, I don't know. Do you think one, go ahead. Okay. I was just gonna ask you what you think. What do you think? Is it how much of it is incompetency and how much is it just plain old people just wicked? It just I don't know. So people accuse me of being too simplistic when actually it is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, people want to believe that there's some kind of power fight going on. If, if there is in any real important fashion, uh, I kind of doubt it. And if so, uh, then somebody gets, you know, someone dies of three self-inflicted gunshot wounds, something like that. <laughs> it's thrown, you know, you see these, these people who wind up dead, you know, whatever. But the bottom line is, one, that the people who run for office don't run this country. And that's why with everybody getting all wet about Republicans and Democrats, all it does is create a catfight where everybody turns their attention to hatred toward the other party. We live in a time now where people don't even vote for their own party. They vote against the other party. And, I, and I'll tell you something right now. You remember this email thing, mm-hmm. right? Hillary has the email problem. Jeff Bush has the email problem. You know why they did that? So each party's followers can have something to attack the other party with. So they're right out now in a catfight. They're not paying attention. I mean, we're going to hell in a handbasket, no matter what, what party's in office. And, we don't, and most people don't realize it because they're so busy hating the other party. Stand back and take a look at how well we've done across the years, and you'll find out that there's been a steady decline. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, we're being killed by a thousand cuts. We are being absolutely betrayed by our own. 
I mean, those republic. I mean, those senators and congressmen and, and, and people in federal office, they're prostitutes. They sold us out. They all have. We haven't known a free press, and we haven't known a government that really cares for a century. All the good people that were in there at the turn of the 20th, 19th and the 20th century got thinned out. There were a couple maybe in the 50s, uh, and I don't know if there's anybody who's honest there that has ever stayed more than one term. Because right. when you find out the way things are, you either forget about it or you've been so marginalized that your constituency won't put you back into office. I'll say one thing, though. There's a book called Foundations, Their Power and Influence. It was written by Rene Wormser, a gentleman who was counsel to the Cox and Reese commissions that in the mid-1950s were very suspect of the tax-exempt foundations that were backed by Rockefeller and Carnegie Money and others. Mm-hmm. And they were wondering why these tax-exempt foundations, these think tanks and other things, we're trying to change what they call the political and social landscape of America. Those two committees were so obfuscated, so obstructed, so absolutely thwarted at every turn that Wormser finally wrote a book about the whole thing saying, folks, this is the way it is. Okay, we tried to get it done. We couldn't. And that book stands as one of the real game changers as far as I'm concerned about government today. I don't think there's anybody that's even anywhere near straight. And if they are, and I mean straight by being honest, and if they are, they're not going to last. No. And that, that is a den of vipers on Capitol Hill. That, that's a hard and one for me to accept, too, but I do accept it. And the reason why it is is because I, I actually have – I know people personally that you're talking about, and I have to look them in the eyes, you know, uh, at least, you know, a half a dozen times a year. And know exactly what you're saying is the truth, and it's a tough one. It's, it's one thing to, to say that when you are not personally connected with any of these people, you know, you know, long-term politicians. It's another thing when you actually are connected to them and you realize I'm in the company of somebody who's maybe is he actually evil. I hate to say that, but that's I mean it's really it's heartbreaking because. The more he put the pieces together, you're like, there's no other way. There's no other, other answer. How could you be that way? How could you still be surviving in this system decades? What's wrong? I mean, and by the way, they've had some pretty candid and honest conversations with me personally, but apparently that doesn't really matter because I'm a nobody and it doesn't really matter that much. What they tell me, what matters is the fact that these people are actually, you know, they're serving somebody other than I'm serving. There's truly not. <laughs> I don't know. And it hurts. It really hurts because you know you you do care about. You know there there. I don't know if you had this experience in your life where you had somebody you really cared about, and you realize that there were not what they said they were. They were a lot worse than you ever could imagine, and you still care about them in a way. You know what I mean? And it's, it's not you know Stockholm syndrome or anything like that. You just there's time, there's history and all that, and you care about them, but you know what? You, you know that you're caring for somebody that would probably, if the opportunity arose, would stab you in the back. And it's really kind of disappointing, and it's really yeah. concerning. And a lot of people have no reason to live a righteous life because they don't believe in a hereafter, or they create one of their, you know, of their own imagination and figure that's it. 
then you might as well be, and I'm sorry to say, you might as well be the nastiest son of a bitch out there because this is your one and only claim. Right. You're going to spend eternity in a very unpleasant place. But they don't believe in that, so they can go ahead and separate themselves, uh, and they make excuses for it. And then it also becomes part of the, of the whole situation. I remember, um, uh, who was it that was talking about, she was involved with HUD. All right, I'm not going to think of it now because I'm trying so hard to think of her, but she's still around somewhere. And I had her interviewed, um, and she was saying that cronyism in government is like, it's like, yeah, it's like part of the deal. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, that's what we do here. I mean, they hit HUD like a slush fund. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's remarkable, but that's what happens. She also had a good statement, too, although I don't trust her anymore, and I'll come up with a name if I have to. Um, and she said the reason why it's so hard to reach people is, and she just quotes a line, uh, I guess, from a, a literary work that says, uh, uh, angels don't know what it is to be lost. And so good people don't believe that this could possibly go on. Good people cannot believe what kind of debauchery goes on in high places. They would absolutely hurl a squirrel if they knew it. Absolutely. And so they would rather not know it. And that goes to the root of your question about why patriots jump me or whatever, whoever you know, criticizes me. It's because they got to believe in a Hollywood ending. they got to believe that John Wayne was real. I mean, I love John Wayne movies, but I never, ever take it as the real thing. But America has to have happy endings. And if there isn't a happy ending, they hate you. And that's all there is to it. Um, <laughs> One time listening to, oh, that's it. Guess three, you nailed it, kid. Catherine Austin Fitz. Thank you very much. The brain is a terrible thing to lose. <laughs> yes, Catherine Austin Fitz, thank you. Um, I don't understand what her whole thing is. I had her on a couple of times. I think it's a pyramid scheme, Solaris, yeah, fine, whatever. No, no thanks. But uh, she did talk about um, HUD and what an absolute uh, slush run that was. At any rate, um, uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I I don't. I'm not happy about the way things are. I'm not happy that we're headed down a certain road. I don't wish the destruction of America. I'm not a communist. I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a socialist. I'm nothing. I just understand that the world is what the world is, and despite the propaganda about ourselves, people don't realize we are on a hell-bound train, and it's going to come to a really horrible conclusion in not too long a time. I don't know when it's going to be. I'm not sitting around worrying about it. But I do know that in the meantime, I'm looking at a country that's becoming more and more totalitarian. Yeah. Because terrorism is the last card in the playbook of totalitarianism, and it's happening everywhere. Because we are going to go under a global rule that's not going to be very nice. Well, there'll be harmony, but not because... Um, Oh, there'll be peace, I should say, but not because of harmony. It's because anybody who dissents is going to get killed. That's what we're doing. Which is the same old story since the beginning. It's Babylon. This is the same thing over and over again. So it's just at a global scale. Should not be surprised. And I think, if anything, you know, most of the world would not be surprised. It's only folks like us that, uh, like you said, still believe in Disneyland and, um, or, you know, fairy tales. And, you know, for some, you know, for what, at least my lifetime, you know, I've seen rough. I've seen real rough in this country. It's 
personally experienced myself, but uh, it's we don't have any we don't we don't compare to what other people go through, so we don't really know what it's really like. And uh, I think that eventually that's what's going to happen. Is uh, just like you said, it's it's inevitable. And you know, I don't know. Well, look, we've had a good year compared to. Oh, oh, look, let's face it, we probably had it the best. I mean, life is worth very little in a lot of other nations and a lot of other continents. The problem is, though, is that for a country that says it's so great, that wants to promote itself as something, and then it's not and then it's being used as, shall we say, a curtain uh, behind which we're going to lose everything. We're losing it as we speak, and we're just making excuses for it. And, I mean, one of the things I was telling you the other day is that the Obama health care isn't Obama. He didn't come up with that. He was told to do it. It's never going to be repealed because that's going to be part of the American landscape. That's meant to be. And what does it mean? It isn't about health care. It's about the denial of it. And it's going to get to a situation where people can't, people can't afford, even if they're getting help from, from the, the government. And then if you ask for help from the government, you're going to wind up having a government's big fat ass in your life. And oh, it's yeah. going to come down to a situation where you're monitored about what you eat and what you drink and how much garbage you put out. This is all in the future. One of the worst things about the NWO isn't, being, uh, isn't having your face stopped by a jackboot, as Orwell said, is that you're going to be perpetually and eternally besieged by bean counters and little annoying nerds who are going to measure everything in your life and find you here and do this. So the bottom line is this, is people may laugh about it. This Affordable Health Care Act is a step toward eugenics. It's about not having health care. It's about looking at people and saying, listen, you're a useless feeder. You know, you're elderly, you're sick, you're costing the state a lot of money. Why don't you just take a sip of the hemlock and call it, you know, taking one for the team? I, is, that's I think, where we're headed, Keith. I think it's already here. It's, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not your neck of woods, but in my neck of the woods, it is. And I can tell you right now, I there's the bean counters and everyone's. I mean, in my situation, you know, as I explained to you, you know about my circumstances with the multiple sclerosis, and 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 you know, before that happened, you know, I had a pretty decent job on the railroad, and I was able-bodied, could do stuff, and <clears throat> since then, now. Uh, it's been an absolute nightmare, and uh, uh, not only uh, do they not want to give you the decent care that you need, they punish you if you actually take care of yourself. Like for for two and a half years, I was, you know, the whole nutrition thing, doing everything right, eating nothing but organic food, and man, it bankrupt me. And then on top of it, they took away, they started taking away my benefits because I wasn't using their medicine. And then, um, then on top of that, you know, ended up having a. I don't want it to sound like it's just well, Mike Adams, because by the way, this I am just one of millions out there in this country, by the way, going through this. But uh, I am bankrupt up to my butt over this. They're constantly uh, bill collectors chasing me. Um, it's, you know, you do not want to get sick in this country. You will be punished. I guarantee you. You will be punished. I had no idea, and I had no sympathy for people in my situation before we get sick. I'd say, well, you know, whatever. 
That's your problem. But, you know, once you go through it like I'm going through it, oh, my gosh. You had, I had no idea how cruel this country really is. It's got a nice veneer. It looks nice. It looks real pretty. It's got nice-looking buildings and nice highways, and everything looks, you know, real neat kept. But the truth of the matter is, and I told you, uh, you know, what they told me down in Columbus, they weren't lying. They really didn't mean, you know, Mike, we're going to hope that you either give up or die before we help you. <laughs> we're kidding. So, it's the fact of the matter is the only reason why, one, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons why I can even be talking to you, Keith, is the fact that there's still family around. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's one of the things they want to destroy. If you don't have family, they know a guy like me in my situation, you're out in the street, you're gone. What's that negative? That's, that's how, you know. And so, by the way, the person who uh, you saw uh, it, uh, offered the name of Catherine Austin Fitz um, was the web, well, I, the webmaster for Think of Be Beaten, the Great Machine. So, oh, really? Yeah. Is that is that uh, Kelly? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Kelly developed thinkorbebeaten.com uh, as an extension of com that Angie Riddell. Uh, had put up and had been so very facilitous to me and very generous and very good at what she did. And she died suddenly in her sleep. And um, I tried to um, acquire Think or Be Eaten. And that's another whole story. But at any rate, uh, that wasn't going to happen. So as a salute to her, but also to keep the thing going, we just changed it to Think or Be Beaten. And, and Kelly's done that uh, for, for these last several years. So, well, thank uh, you. Thank you, Kelly. I, I have learned a lot. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Keith. Thank you, Kelly, for doing that. I mean, it's, it means a lot to me. I, I keep this, there's like, really, honestly, Keith, I'm not just blowing smoke up, you know. I, I actually, there's like only a handful of websites that I keep coming back to. You know, uh, and the truth of the matter is, there's there's only a, there's not that many uh, websites out there that are honestly that I have discovered that it has really reliable information. You might have part of it right, but they don't got it all right, and or even close to. It. I mean, not to say you have it all right, but you have a big enough of, of a picture right that I know from my studies, and I didn't trust, I didn't blindly trust you and everything you said. I wasn't like some guy. I'm never. I've been a follower as far as a group goes, but as the man, a person, I've never been that way. I never, I've always been very questionable about things. Um, and I, uh, when it came to listening to you in the past three and a half years, I really did. Uh, I challenged everything, and I can, I can say that for the most part, I would strongly recommend anybody to pay attention to your website. Read the books that you have online. Listen to the books you have online. Listen to the conversations because you will get an education. And you will be offended most likely. But if you keep it up and you challenge what these men are saying, like Keith or the Informer or James or Gordon or uh, Eric, or et cetera, that you know what? You're actually going to learn something. But the problem with this is Keith, learning the truth it's extremely depressing and extremely uncomfortable. And we, because I grew up in a world of cults 
and lies and fables and fantasies. One of the things I've learned, Keith, is I, I, no one taught me how to deal and to accept and to live with the truth. You know what I'm saying? Of course. Well, people, yeah, I do. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's, it is. It's, I understand why most people run away because um, it is extremely uncomfortable. And it will, you know, I have, you know, family and things I have to deal with and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you, you know what, your mind, your your mind will be preoccupied with this stuff, you know, as you're, you know, functioning, just kind of doing what, what used to be so important to you, you're so alert to now, for, at least for me, now my head's racing of, what did Keith just say there, what did Gordon say, what are these, are you, are you serious, that's how, that many people have been assassinated? Uh, are you serious? <laughs> well, you know, the Jesuits? Who are the Jesuits? Rome? Uh, what? And you know, and you, uh, you, you, you're, you really, at least for me, I'm constantly thinking. There have been many a night, I don't know if you had this problem, where I'm like, because my head's thinking so much, I have a hard time sleeping. And it's the first time in my life that's ever been that way. I mean, college and everything else, it never was that way. You know what I mean? Cracking the books and all that. I, believe me, I was when I could, I could sleep because you know what? I didn't care about anything that I was learning. I was just trying to get that ticket to get on the bus. I could care less. Um, this stuff, you're like, wow, this is real. This really is meaningful stuff. This changes the game plan. How do I live with this? How do I live with all this information? How do I function for the next 10, 20, 30 years as long as God allows me on this earth? How do I share this with my son? You know, one of the things I think about is like my son said, like, what would happen if I share all this stuff with them and then he spends his 50, 60 years knowing what you say, you know, Keith, and what I, little I know, even the little that I know. Uh, Am I doing him justice in a world that's so it sucks and it's just judgmental and nobody wants to know the truth and they'll they'll tear him apart if he talks about it. You know what I mean? Well, well, listen. First of all, you and even Kelly and a lot of others have chosen Gordon too, and yeah. this is harder for you than it's ever going to be for say Eric and myself who are childless and have no one else. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're any harsher or more benign in what we have to say because the bottom line is this: none of us made this stuff up. Right. We, we encountered information that was definitely suppressed and omitted from the historical record. Because our country, like every other country, it's PR. It's an advertisement. And even though people still come to this country, I understand, it, blah, 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 the point of the matter is, is that we're on a decline, and that has been programmed and planned. And good people who consider themselves good Americans are just scratching their head and can't figure out what the problem is so what does the government do? They'll point to Muslims or they'll point over here. They'll do anything that it takes mm-hmm. to deflect the onus of what is taking place uh, upon them. And I have no respect whatsoever for any federal officials. I don't care who's a governor and all that stuff. I don't even vote locally. I just don't care. Right. Put whatever pharaoh you want in office. That's fine with me. Because in the end, it all comes out the way it's supposed to happen. There is a script. People in their certain time, uh, whether it's in the Oval Office or whatever, are entrusted with carrying out that part of the script. That's all there is to it. I look at Obama as being as worthless as 
Bush before him, um, and, and those yet to come. And so I look at them with contempt because they have sold us out for mammon, and that's yep. all there is to it. Now, there's another thing going on here also. When people, you know, you know, hear or whatever, or that I'm Christian or something, they automatically think, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you're one of those people that want to hasten the return of the Lord. You want everything to go to hell in a handbasket. It's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. And you can't hasten the Lord down. Human beings can't do anything to force the Lord to do anything. My point is, is that this is the way it is. And, yeah, you know what? It does come down to a showdown between good and evil that yeah. has been prophesied to come to a certain climax. Who knows when? I don't know. But this is what we're seeing, and it's infected our own country. You know, we, we keep telling ourselves that we're the same thing we were, like, in what? You know, the 19th century or whatever, and it's just not so. And the lies that are being perpetrated, the propaganda, and I'm, I, I sit in a chair, yeah, and I say to myself, are people really swallowing this? I mean, are you kidding me? But you see, like I said, we've been propagandized to believe that we can't be propagandized. It's everybody else that's that. You know, we don't have tasks. We don't have um, Pravda. Um, only the Russians are lied to. Well, no, you're being lied to as well. <laughs> and, you know, let, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in 1 Samuel 8, I think it starts at verse 7, and it's almost comical. You know, it's almost comical, Michael. <laughs> when Samuel goes trembling to the Lord and said, um, they want a king. <laughs> and the Lord, says, the Lord says, don't sweat it. Let him have a king. Do you, did we talk about this? Uh, yeah, we talked about it before, but go ahead. Let's talk. But, but Not, the Lord turns around and says, give him a king, and this is what's going to happen. And for the next, what, nine uh, verses, it's like, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take, and that's government, folks. That's government. And, and, Lord, that, and that, in a, in a nutshell, too, when we talk about government, we're talking about human nature. We're talking about man. I mean, one of the things we... Uh, that, I have had to, to have a hard time. It's been a hard time swallowing for me. I because I, you know, I, I, I'm no angel. Okay, no way. I mean, I, I mean, I've done my fair share of you know, not just the greatest things in the world, but I never knew. I, I never. Re, I, I'm going to sound really naive here, but I never realized how wicked people can be. I mean, I was basically. I probably think I was a jerk, but I wasn't like somebody that was out to get whatever I can out of anybody and everybody, you know what I mean? I'm not sure, you know, to get on top of the, the, the heap, if you will, you know, the, the king of the hill type of thing. I never was interested in that. I had no idea how wicked mankind is. And, I mean, there's good, don't get me wrong, but obviously, there, <laughs> you know as well as I do, studying history, the, the, how many millions and hundreds and probably billions of people that have lived on this planet, who have been enslaved, have been murdered, have been raped and pillaged, and have been everything taken from them. It just didn't happen, you know, it's just not happening, you know, just didn't start happening, you know, World War II or something like that. I mean, it's been going on for thousands of years. And I had no idea. When you start studying and put all, you know, pieces together, you're like, I know it sounds really naive coming from I had no idea. I recognize this is not how I think. I don't, I'm not out to try to get anybody. I'm not out to try to be on top of the world. I, I have never once, I mean, I've been treated pretty bad with some people in this world, and I never even wanted to, thought in my head that I wanted to, 
hurt him in any way, shape, or form physically. I, I it's beyond me. And you know, well, the the brutal realization is learning all this stuff is to realize how absolutely wicked mankind is and can be. And this is why we need, I, I, without, you know, the problem that I see, which is amazing, is coming from my voice. You know, you're talking to a guy that would, most of his life was a musician, an artist, a womanizer, which all by himself. I didn't care. I was just trying to get the most I want out of life, but it wasn't, I was a jerk, but I wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? Just one of the guys is basically what it was, you know? And uh, I, I, I was in the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah, I remember you talking about it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, I was an athlete. I was a jock. I was a, <laughs> I was a Nazi. I mean, you know, don't say anything bad about America. I mean, I went through the seventies and hippies and all that stuff, and then I realized most of them were right. I mean, I, I came from an orientation that was completely different from this. But there comes a time if you look, you gotta want to know the truth. If you don't. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter, and most people don't. I just, I just didn't want to be lied to. It's like, just tell me what it is, okay? Whatever it is, just tell me what it is. I can deal with it. Does yeah. it hurt? Yeah. Oh yeah. Let, let, let me give you an example about how I felt when I first found out, and I don't mean to use this as a trite example, but it's the best way I could. And I kind of mentioned this before, but I don't think you've heard it. I haven't told it too many times. When I was a kid, like in the late fifties, I go to the movies and I see this invasion from Mars. Have you ever seen that? That it was a well done B movie. Have you ever seen? Yeah, that? I I know about it. I've seen the the flyers and all that kind of stuff on. All right. Uh, and the movie starts with a kid in his bed, and there's a window above his head, and the camera starts to pan over his bed a little closer through the window, and here comes a spaceship <laughs> that lands or crashes on the far side of the knoll. Now we start the movie. The the, the invaders come and they go ahead and they implant something in the back of people, and the kid realizes that his parents are implanted. Now think about how that child feels when you turn around and say, you're all infected. Mm. Well, okay, that was part of it. However, it gets better. They, uh, at the end of the movie, they, um, he, he apparently was having a dream. This was a bad dream. So his parents come in and they console him that it was only a dream, same camera shot as the beginning. The parents leave. Kid falls asleep in bed. And through the window, guess what comes? <laughs> a spaceship. But, but the thing is, I left the movie saying, what if? What if it really is real? Whatever it is. Right. What if our worst nightmare is true? Once you get past that, you learn to live life. Right. All right. Now, there's some ways you can escape it, but certainly, you know, trying to like, you know, take an M16 and shoot something, you know, forget. <laughs> it's not an answer, no. I say for me, the only thing that's worked for me, uh, I, first of all, you talk about love of the truth. I really believe, at least for me, I can't talk for anyone else, but it's God. It was an act of God because you know I never um, that He put that in me. I believe that with everyone else too, but I can't prove that to you or anybody else, but I believe that it's an act of God for anybody who wants to, who has the love of the truth. Um, and then I think the other thing is too, is, is by having faith and, and Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about religion now, and a lot of people say that otherwise, but I'm talking 
read the Bible, see what I read, getting on my, my face, uh, my hands and knees and praying, I have a belief, faith, and a higher power called Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who created this world. Probably should use higher power. It gives away that for a long time I was in AA before I saved, so <laughs> higher power. But, uh, right. uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so, you know, and it's not religion for me. And it's funny because, you know, I can't, I still can't tolerate religion. But I have believe in God. Even that, I believe, is given to, to me, and I think that's the way I deal with it. It's like you were saying earlier that, you know, there's, the picture is bigger than this world. And so, you know, I, I learn about my world. And I think the real important reason to learn about all these things is to uh, break away from one's idols, like you're talking about with government and all that kind of stuff. This is an idol for most people. They put their faith more in the government and men than in God. And then the other thing is, is too, is, is a a way of avoiding as much as possible. You're not going to do it 100%, but the snares, the traps that are out there, avoiding them. Now you know what the you know what you're up against. You know what I mean? So now I know I can I can avoid that. I can stay away from that. I don't have to put my faith in that. I can, you know, it's. It's a weird situation to be in, you know? So, you know, you've known about this stuff for quite a while now. So how do you navigate the world? I really want to know this now. You don't have to tell me your day-to-day details, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's a time when you find this stuff out, and you don't want nothing to do with the world. And then, then you get to a point, and you're like, we still don't want anything to do with the world, but you learn how to live in it. You know what I'm saying? You learn how to live in this nuts, so how this madhouse that you <laughs> you're in, you know, a madhouse where they're saying you're nuts when actually everyone else is nuts. It's not you; they're nuts. So how do you live in that world? How do you do it? First of all, when I when I went through this journey, um, I talked to my wife about it every step of the way. I said, "Listen, um, this is what I'm coming across, and I got to check it out. I don't know." Um, but I share everything that I found. And so she understood as well to her satisfaction. There was some, there was some dead ends and some wrong turns, but you know, I got back on the track to what it's all about. And it's got nothing to do with IQ. It's just being able to deal with the reality and having some common sense. So I know, I know the cavalry isn't coming to save us. The guys in the white hats are not coming over the hill. The best that we can do is disassociate ourselves as much as possible. I mean, I think with being driven by a want factor where people must buy stuff, mm-hmm. um, get in debt, that's one thing. Two, uh, we live prudently and we live with what we need. Three, I don't get involved in social gatherings anymore. I'm really bad at small talk. Uh, I'm genial to people and I would help people, but I just don't get myself involved in affiliations. Uh, We try to take a look at how we can reduce our profile so that we can be left uh, alone as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I definitely want to get out of Florida, and I would like to go to a rural situation and slow things down a bit, reliance maybe on one vehicle with that. And I'm Mm -hmm. not even talking about getting off the grid. I'm just talking about minding our own business, 
keeping our things as affordable as possible. And be, and because I have to admit, because I have a partner, um, it, 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 there you know when two are gathered, there's there's a, a quarter three, and that helps a lot. That day may come to an end. Uh, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Sure. But it's a question of keeping yourself healthy, not being foolish with money. And I, and I'll tell you something right out. I mean, no matter what you do, financial instruments really are controlled by all by dead people. Yeah. Now, we got out of 401Ks after we got hit a fourth time. Uh, and, and let me just share this with you, too. I mean, we go over. I mean, we lost kind of like some minutes at the beginning. So can I just go through this a little? Absolutely. All right. Now, in 87, we had Black Monday. And we were in, you know, we were in mutual funds, 401s, and we got destroyed. We stayed in. We worked our way back. 94, there was another one. Um, that took place probably in the beginning of 94, but had its roots, obviously, at the end of 93. All right, so there's another one. Okay, we build ourselves back up again. Because of 9-11 in 2001, there was another, quote, correction, and that hurt. And then another one came, what, in um, all right, 2008. But in 2001, I, I looked at her and I said, listen, do we really believe that the money will be there when we need it? Do we believe that these SOBs uh, who rule the financial world aren't going to take it? And we decided, no, they w- we, it won't be there. So in 2002, I took out our money for 401Ks, paid off the government, did all that, and invested in gold and silver. Now, you know what's happened to the metals. Yeah. And I had a conversation, in fact, with Kelly a couple of days ago, you know, because I, I thought it was a big pump and dump. I don't really think that, but that's what happened. But all of the laws of economics have been thrown to the wind. What's going out there now is completely, absolutely orchestrated. And so the gold and silver have been, to a great extent, uh, diminished in value. Will it stay that way? I kind of doubt it. But here's my point. No matter what you do with your money, say, putting it into your mattress, which may not be a bad idea, by the way, but you, you don't, I mean, they, they're going to corner everything. All right. I'm not sorry I went into metals only because if, the, if it hits the fan, I still have something to play with, even if I'm turned into a black market type of person who has to sell gold and silver like it was dope in a back alley. <laughs> Those who have their money in 401Ks, and if it's not in your hands, I don't care if it's in the bank. All money is electrons now, by the way. I mean, have yep. you ever seen anything like this? It's all electrons. I mean, what would happen if an EMP supposedly was um, uh, attacked us? Would your money be vaporized in the blink of an eye? You bet it would. I, I like the so point, point you brought, brought up about supposedly, because that's the odds are it's going to be something that we just freaking made up to begin with, right? <laughs> well, check this out. After 2008, Florida got hit really bad with foreclosures. Um, there were a couple of banks, small bank chains that went down and did this on, um, what was it, WABC News. Uh, a person from the FDIC came on, and he said, we cannot cover 100% of investors for 100% of their investment. 
we can cover 100% of the investors, but not to 100%. Mm-hmm. Some might get only 70%. And I'm saying to myself, dig this. This is on a blowtorch station down here with a nationally syndicated radio, you know, top of the hour, five-minute spot. And this guy from the FDIC is saying, we can't cover 100% of the people, 100% of their money. There's also a, um, an article I had that I held on to called The FDIC Fiction by a former chairman of the FDIC and said, FDIC, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's not there. It's not there. Hmm. So there's my point. So no matter what you believe in, it can be taken away from you. But the thing that I find absolutely repulsive is that people I've talked to, Americans have become inured to the fact that they, it's almost like some kind of tribal sacrifice. They are ready and willing every seven years to be robbed by the money banksters. Now, listen to what I said, 87, 94, 2001, 2008. Mm. Almost every seven years, we've had, quote, a correction. Well, you know, here we are, 2015. Is one coming now, or is it going to come next year? It's going to come. How bad it will be, nobody knows. But here's another thing I would offer to you, and I don't tell people to go ahead and bank on this. Excuse the pun. <laughs> but remember, World War I came on about seven or eight years after the panic of, what was it, 1907, I think? It was a panic in 07 or 09. I always forget the, the numbers. Let's call it 07, all right? We got into World War I 11 years after. And remember that we had the Federal Reserve brought in uh, to existence, which is unconstitutional because Congress uh, uh, gave to them a function that's their own, and that it was the, uh, the uh, what was it, uh, regulating the value of money. Right. Congress gave it to the Fed, which is unconstitutional. It was never challenged. So Wilson, during his presidency, got us into the war that he promised he'd keep our boys out of. Wilson also presided over the Fed and the institution of the income tax, because once you had the Fed, you had to feed the beast with blood. And that was the IV stuck in our arms called the income tax. All right. Now take a look. 32. Uh, 29, we had the, the stock market crash. 32, we had the depression. Nine years later, we wind up in World War II. Right. All right. So are we going to have another financial cataclysm prior to a war? Probably. Absolutely. It's a necessity for them to have the well, war. So the only question was, was 2008 the date, or is there a bigger one coming down the pipe? Oh, you know there so, is. <laughs> there has to be for them to have their big war that they want. They have to put the, the hurt on everybody to get them to be willing to, to fight. Well, this time around, they can go ahead. Well, we could have a financial cataclysm and have it blamed on the Chinese. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see how that kind of works? So there could be an EMP attack that wipes people out. It will My always point is, I'm sorry, just, huh? I say it would always be an, an excuse. It will never be because of them, right? It would always be an, an ex- external boogeyman or source, you know, boogeyman. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> to me, it's amazing when, when I talk to people and they're like, well, yeah, it happens. So I'm saying you're willing every seven years to get hit with what? A 30% reduction in portfolio, maybe even more. And don't tell me that after a certain amount of time you got it back because the time you were trying to get back to where it was, you could have been making more money if it never happened. 
So they got this thing in their head now. Well, we're, I'm back even now six years later. Great. What happens if you didn't lose it? Where would you have been? But they don't want to think about it. But the point is what they told me, well, I don't really have it, so yeah, I don't feel it. So that's where America's at, man. If that's where it's at, I'll tell you what, give me your money. I'll do much better with it than, than the 401Ks and the mutual funds will. <laughs> it's a sucker's market, and that's all who makes money. And there's another comeuppance that I came, you know, another frank um, awareness that I came to uh, when it's like, you know what? These people are not working actually in our behalf. They're working on their own behalf, and they're using our money. We're the suckers in this whole game. Absolutely. And, you know, it's even worse than that. We're, we're, we're mind-controlled and we're slaves. We're absolute slaves because of our uh, uh, ignorance and because of our denial. And it's the same story over and over again, isn't it? I mean, it's just ramped up. It's in hyperdrive now, but it's... Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not justifying what's going on. I'm just saying... Uh, maybe I am justifying it, <laughs> uh, but it seems to be that people just, uh, like you said, they, they just accept it. And here's the other thing that's interesting, too, for whatever it's worth. You know, 2008, it probably never affected you, but uh, we had stuff like The Secret and all this New Age stuff in her book, you know, giving it, you know, people, instead of a real solution to their problem, they gave them a fantasy. Um now we and, and also there was another thing like the harbinger and community to you I don't know if it does or not where they uh, they say oh it's all biblical it's all prophetic every seven years this stuff happens and you can and I'm like you know what you give us anything but the truth won't you and they got all these stooges out there that are on shows like Alex Jones and all that no one's ever telling you the group you know the solution no one's ever telling you the truth. The complete truth. They'll tell you part of it. They'll say it's the bankers and all that, but uh, they don't really give you an answer, do you? Do they? They don't really. Well, the first thing to all this is getting right with God, I believe. First and foremost, in all this, get right with God, and then and you know, figure out what that means. Really, figure out what that means, because that doesn't mean joining a church or a group. It means getting right with Him. And then it's getting honest with, with the situation that we're in. And, you know, it's, uh, it is, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Keith, it is, it's not a group thing. It's not a, a social movement. It's not a, it's just like you're saying, you've got to man up. If you can man up, man up. That doesn't mean taking on the world. That doesn't mean getting arms and all that stuff. That means being honest in what your situation is, you know. But, but you see, here's the situation. You know, all these patriots are like, oh, I'm not, I won't be a slave, I won't be a slave. So what's their answer? Oh, I'm going to go without a license because you don't need a license to drive the king's road. I mean, you heard me about this. Yeah. This one guy contacts me from Washington, and this is going to be his big thing. And I'm kind of like, I'm sorry, but you know what? I don't want people driving without licenses. I mean, I may trust you, but what about all the knuckleheads that couldn't get a license or don't want one? I mean, what are you going to do if you get into an accident and you can't produce a license? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know what? This is not the one we want to deal with. Oh, parking tickets or the presumption of guilt before uh, innocence or whatever. I don't care. If you don't want to drive, then don't get the damn license and don't worry about it. I mean, I'd be more than happy. I'm looking forward to the day when I don't want to drive. I don't have to drive. <laughs> but the thing is, this is not the big win. Then I've seen people. See, nobody sees the failures. Everybody runs their mouth about their supposed successes on YouTube. 
but you don't see the failures, and you don't see the ones who for a while got away with it, and then the IRS caught their rear ends and said, guess what? And one listener shared a story about a guy who was working for FedEx, had a great job, had a co-worker who had supposedly expunged herself from the income tax, and everything was groovy, and she showed him how to do it. Well, guess what? The dragon caught up with him, and he tried to fight it without a lawyer, and then he made a big mistake, and then he got a lawyer, and then things only got worse. So the man who didn't want to be a slave to the IRS is now a slave to the penal system where now he works solely for the government. And the woman who counseled him in this, guess what? They caught up with her too, and she ain't going to see the light of day for a long time. Remember the Browns in New Hampshire who all the patriots went up and supported and pumped their fists and were with you? Can any of them tell you where the Browns are now? They're in separate institutions, and they're not going to get out alive. (laughs) All right? Eddie Kane was the individual who was working with Wesley Stipes in his expunging himself from the IRS. Mm -hmm. Well, they came after them. Stipes made a deal. Eddie Kane left the United States for Panama. There are no extradition rights between Panama and the United States. What happened? The FBI flew down, grabbed Kane's rear end, and brought him back to the United States. And the shoe will tell you also, if you follow this, that guy has been shunted around to more correctional institutions you can shake a stick at and has never had his day in court. So much for habeas corpus. My <laughs> point is that you could, if you're a slave now, and I know I am, and you are, and everyone else is, but we're free inside because this is not our home. We're not staying here. Right. We'll give Pharaoh what he wants. We'll give Caesar what he wants. All right? But we still have freedom inside. But if you want to lose all your freedom, to prove a point, only to be found out that, guess what? They couldn't give a crap less. They make the rules. They change the rules. They do what they want when they want. That's not what I'm going to fight for, especially at this point in my life. Forget about it. <laughs> You're a slave because you live on planet Earth, and the only way out is up. That's it. That that's, that is the answer, and it's uh, it's an it, for most of us, it's not an acceptable answer. We don't want it. We don't want to put our faith in God, and we don't want to accept our situation. And I think part of that. I mean, I don't want to sound de- defeatist like most people are going to feel that I am sounding defeatist, but uh, it's just like you said. We are a, this. <laughs> Satan runs this place. God's allowed it to happen, and, you know, he's looking for those who are really going to follow him or follow their own whims and their own desires or the desires of other men. What What are you going to do? I mean, you make a choice. Well, the point is, are you a defeatist? If you look at the reality, and for that part in time, whether it's Warsaw 1930 to 35, whether it's United States 2016 to 2020, if you're in a situation that's bad, what are you going to do? That's just the way life is. It sucks. But we think it can't happen here, and so everybody's walking around like somehow, some way, the good guys win, we pull this thing out, but nobody does anything to, toward that end. And you really can't. The days of revolutions and revolts are over with. When the government and the military got weaponry that the peasants didn't have, you know what I mean? We're not doing bows yeah. against bows. It's over. So stop with that. It isn't going to happen. 
and most of the wet dreams these characters have of coming over the hill and being shot up and dying, you know, and grabbing the flag. Give me a break, will you? What an idiot. <laughs> but that's what's out there. All I'm trying to say is, look, that's it. This is the reality. Life's not over. But don't try to think you're going to change. You know, you can't stand in front of a tank and think you're going to do anything except turn into red grease. Forget it. But that's not good enough because all these people have to believe in a happy ending. Well, guess what, sports fans? This time around, it ain't happy for the U.S. And I'm not happy about it, but what it is is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, and we, are, we don't like the fact that we're not in control and that God is. Yeah. Really, in the day, you know, it's like, and, and so we won't, we will put our, our 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 faith in our futility instead of uh, God's good grace and the, His hope. And um, I mean, I, I, I guess all I can do is speak for myself. That's who I was for most of my life. So, and uh, um, I I could like to say once again, I've told you this. I uh, I've shared this with others, and I'll share it one more time. Not and this is not to uh, you know puff you up or it's not false praise folks Keith really did he's one of the <laughs> Keith and, and Gordon were the two men of all people two guys who are hard there's probably the reason why because you're not preachers you're not pastors you're not just quoting things from scripture you you speak the truth you share the truth and you, you guys motivated me to actually read the Bible and come to the Lord and surrender to him um, and I am, will be eternally grif- grateful for that. And um, I guess I want you to know that you know it, what you what you're doing is not a waste of time. It might feel at times like, man, why am I doing this? What's the point in it all? I just want you to know that you really have made a big difference in my life. And um, if it wasn't for you, and if you weren't willing to do what you did for the past. Uh, was it 16 years, 17 years? Um, I don't know where I'd be. I'd probably be a member of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> some secret society, you know, <laughs> doing my own thing, probably completely lost. And, um, and so uh, I, I mean that I sincerely. Thank you. And uh, well, let me say this. Uh, what Kelly set up, and he just sent a link about Eddie Kane. Uh, it's it's spelled K-A-H-N. It's pronounced Kane. Uh, uh, in the chat room, uh, Kelly put up a link that's got to do with it. And I, I I can't call it up right now. I will later if, if you see it. You know, give it a shot yourself as to what's going on with him. Right. But but Gordon and Eric, I mean people. The truth resonates with people. Everybody's talking about the truth. All I do is take a look and walk down a certain path and test everything I came to. And I came to a very, or what I think, solid conclusion. It's not pleasant, but it is reality. Now, what Kelly set up on thinkerbebeaten.com, it's a repository of information. We didn't make this stuff up. We didn't no. use, I mean, we didn't come up with our own philosophies and push it. What we had, we try to give everything we can as far as documentation. You want to attack that? and tell me what's wrong with that. That's fine. But that's what's there. And I asked Gordon and I asked Eric if they wouldn't mind going solo because, you know, I'm winding down. This is the end of the road for me. And I, I wanted to see something keep kept going. And if yeah. the three of us all contributed, 
you know, I wouldn't have to contribute like I did in the old days because I'm not even near whatever um, prolificness I had back then. No, I just the way it is. So with what Kelly's got, with what Eric brings to the table, Gordon brings to the table, we also bring books, we bring articles. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a great website called chroniclingamerica.loc.gov. Newspapers that have been digitized going back sometimes into the 18th century. You can find out more about the reality of the stories that were taking place now before they got sanitized and got into our history books. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the reasons why the Internet is good, as well as archive.org. But for the most part, the Internet has not freed all that many people. It's just that much more of an amplifier for lies. And, of course, all the chimpanzee crap with Twitter and Facebook. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, you know, what a statement on a human condition. But anyway, somebody said, well, the Internet's going to wake up. No, if the Internet was really threatening the power structure, we wouldn't be on the Internet. No, stop, folks. It is so loaded with garbage and all this other crap that, that the good stuff gets, you know, it just unless you pan for a, a gold nugget or two, you're not getting anything. Oh, it takes a long time. It took me a, 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 it took me endless hours and time just to find you. I, I had to go through so much junk to finally find a few nuggets like you're talking about. You know. But I. You still there? Yeah, I uh, I got excited and I hit the phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, again, I want to say archive.org. Uh, and uh, go to text or chroniclingamerica.loc.gov. I'll slide you those links. I mean, when, when I've been doing this Lincoln thing, I go back in the newspapers and see what was written and how much it may have changed, had been changed to what we supposedly – I mean, the bottom line is, just as an example, John Wilkes Booth was not shot in Garrett's farm. He was not killed there. Mm-hmm. He went on, and he lived till 1883 – <laughs> and the information is radiant uh, to support the fact that he was not killed there. The reason why he was allowed to stay uh, at large was, one, the politicians who were behind Lincoln's assassination and um, one of the appointments was his secretary of war, Stanton. Mm-hmm. You, you can't imagine how many people wanted him dead. This guy had no shot of getting through his second term. None. And I'm not saying, look, first of all, he was not a Christian. That's baloney. And that's upheld by information from others at that time. That's one of the parts of the mythology and the deification of Washington and Lincoln. Lincoln was not a Christian, but he did want an end quickly to the Civil War, which no one else wanted because they were making money, and most of them also wanted to see the South absolutely trampled with a meanness of spirit that I can't tell you. So what happened was, I mean, I go into the newspapers, and there it is. It's an amazing tool. Not every newspaper has uh, an entry there, but you can go back in time and look at what happened. Here's another one. With the Russians that came to the United States in 1863, where's that in our history books? (laughs) Well, I, I never heard it until I listened to you. I had no idea. Forty some years ago in their life and had no idea. So <laughs> neither did I. None of us did. I heard it rumored in the last decade or so, and once again, thankfully for the internet, I found an article from a California Historical Quarterly that talked about 
Azar sending the Atlantic fleet to New York, the Pacific fleet to San Francisco. I go back into the New York Tribune on that October day in 1863, and a front page story in the New York Tribune, we welcome our Russian guests. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, folks may, and I know this is another whole thing, but folks may go, well, why are the Russians here? This has to do with the intrigues of Britain and France. And eventually, somewhere months away, I'm going to do a series on the First World War that didn't happen. There was almost an international incident and a world war because Russia had been defeated in the Crimean War by Britain and France the first two times those countries were allies. Mm -hmm. So the Russians didn't mind a rematch. And they wanted to get their ships out of their ports before the Brits could come in there and catch them because on the open seas, the Russians had the better vessels. So Tsar uh, Alexander and Lincoln made this agreement and under the auspices of stopping the blockade running by the Confederate ships, they brought both fleets in. Amazing. But when I saw it as a front-page story, they gave them a parade down Fifth Avenue. Not a word in our history books. Why? Because we were supposed to hate the Russians. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it amazing? Well, it, it is. And I know you want to wrap it up, but here's something I just wanted to share with you that I found today. As I was wrapping up the Lincoln series for now, uh, 13 um, episodes, there was a woman that was a paramour of John Wilkes Booth. I mean, this guy this guy did better than Jim Morrison. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right? And um, Kate Scott was a nurse during the Civil War, and she fell under Booth's spell. And that's another whole story, but she gives an affidavit about how she was in his company for one to two weeks after his supposed death. She's not the only one. So anyway, that's just one of the bricks in the wall that support the story that Booth did not die in Garrett's uh, farm. All right. But listen to what she wrote. This is a woman who, wrote it, who gave a deposition in 1910. Listen to her words and tell me if she didn't have it right on the head. She wrote, I was never a believer in war and killing. I have all my life Uh, opposed uh, organized warfare as criminal folly. I, too, to this day believe that the war of the rebellion, meaning the Civil War, was fought for purely political purposes and for the financial gain of persons who found it good for business. (laughs) Can you think that? Makes sense to me. I mean, that that war in itself doesn't make much sense except for that. I mean... Um, that was probably, you know, again, the Patriots want to get into the 14th Amendment and how that did us in and all this stuff. Let me tell you, the Civil War was planned by foreign intrigues to, to keep us in line. Whether split or together, it did not matter. And, again, there are a number of books that support that the Brits were like, look, you want to be split? No problem. The point is, is that they still controlled. Rome and Britain controlled us. If we were split, that's fine. If we were together, that's fine. Right. So, you know, it was, it was an uh, internecine war, yes, but it was instigated by outside influences. Hey, in did, you, troops of- did you ever figure out how long that they were planning that war? Because wars take forever to plan. They don't, they're not organic. They don't just happen overnight. I mean, a war takes for, I mean, decades to plan a war. 
I mean, it's a very complicated endeavor. It's, you know, I mean, a man can't. There's, I don't think I have anything more complicated that man's ever done. So, uh, do you have any idea when they the, talk about the Vatican yeah. or Rome and, and and Britain and all these countries? How long in advance were they planning it? It would seem. See, there was a discussion in the United States about slavery continuing in certain new states. Mm-hmm. That's where the Missouri Compromise came in. And another interesting element is everybody thinks they know about the uh, missing 13th Amendment being the uh, banning of those with titles of nobility for being involved in government. Mm-hmm. That was one, but that wasn't the last one. The next one was, frankly, the Missouri Compromise, that they were hoping to allow uh, new states to be either slave or free. Mm-hmm. And when that didn't work out to the slaveholders' uh, liking, and the slaveholders were pretty much backed by England, um, then we were working our way toward war. This started off with the failed attempt to take over Cuba. Uh, it had to do with uh, annexing Texas. Um, Tyler was in favor of it. That's why Harrison was killed, because his vice president, Tyler, was all for it. But it didn't work out to Europe's uh, liking. So you could say probably, if you want to pick a moment, probably from the time Harrison was killed, uh, right through Buchanan, who really didn't want any part of it, uh, and passed it along to Lincoln. Yeah, it was planned that long. Uh, And that would be also when certain parties did not get their way, and they saw there was going to be a problem. In 1863, on January 1st, Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which was a PR stunt for the most part. Right. Uh, There's a book called Lincoln and the Russians, and even though Alexander sent his fleets over, he had a little problem with Lincoln, and really the reality and the impact of the proclamation Alexander said something to the effect of, well, great, you banned slavery in states you have no control over. Nice going. Anyway, be that as it may. Um, so from that, that point on, uh, the fix was in for a war. And the Brits had moved in more troops into, into uh, Canada. And the Pope um, uh, approached uh, Napoleon and said, listen, send some troops over with Maximilian because Juarez and this freedom movement is taking land from the churches, which, by the way, the churches stole from the peasants. So let's go over and stop that. So you had the French in Mexico, you had the Brits in Canada, and they were just kind of like watching and waiting to see what would happen. And then all of a sudden, here come the Russian fleets, and now we got a little bit of different of a fight. Now, Maximilian failed miserably. Uh, He was executed. His wife went back to Rome and approached the Pope for more help. He threw her in a high tower where she went crazy, although they say she went crazy and then he threw her in a high tower. Pope figure. All right? (laughs) But this is at a time when the Vatican was not doing well in Europe. They had major losses. They had a battle with the Papal States. They were losing a lot of power, and they did not want to see what they had in Mexico going down the tubes. So what happened was in December of 63, I think it was December, 12 months after the Emancipation Proclamation, Pope Pius IX issued a declaration acknowledging and supporting the Confederate cause. That um, effected a, um, what's the word, (coughs) defection, if you will, of 
a number of German and Irish Roman Catholics from the Union Army. He, he was trying to eviscerate the Union cause and to try to infuse more bodies into this Confederate cause because the Confederate said, we're not lacking for raw materials, we're lacking bodies. Right. So, so the Pope tried to do that. Lincoln blocked him by telling Sherman, Sheridan, and Grant, I don't care what you do, tear it loose, you know, scorch earth policy, we're ending this war immediately. And they did. It was brutal, but he brought it to an end, and the Pope said, okay, all right, you got it this time, but you're going to pay. Right. And Lincoln's assassination after the war was over, it had no military benefit. That was a hit. So there you go. That makes all the sense in the world to me. And uh, the other question, of course, then is, uh, you know, why did they extend the war so long when you just got through saying that basically they had the capacity, you know, to end it much earlier? Basically, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of money involved, and there was a lot of money to be made in this war. And they, ex- it seems to me that this, this war could have been over within a year or two at the most. Every time the South made a game, something happened that stopped their progress. I mean, they were kicking the Union's butt at Bull Run right from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, it was almost a war that was programmed to continue. And listen, it's not all that far off from what happened in Vietnam. It's like, why is this thing continuing? I mean, in 1960, I heard that our troops or advisors went into Laos. That was a country I never heard of. Yeah. Laos, what's that? All the maps I had as a kid still showed French Indochina. Right. That started in 1960. In 74, it was still going. Is there a problem here? Yeah. In 2001, we go into Afghanistan, and what is it now? My watch says 2015. What are we doing? Wars <laughs> are fought, as Kate Scott said in her deposition, for financial gain. And nobody in the North that was in power wanted to see the war end. They were making money, and they also wanted to punish the South as badly as they could. I mean, they had absolute bloodlust in them for their countrymen, and that's what was facing Lincoln. They knew that Lincoln was electable, and nobody else was, and they had to deal with it. But I'll tell you what, he had no shot, as I said, to finish out his second term because they were all over him. I mean, there were plots all over the place. But remember something else. Buchanan was also the subject of a kidnapping plot. These, these congressmen and senators were not nice people, and they were not what you would call elegant. And they were willing to go ahead and kidnap Buchanan, and when Buchanan passed by, they, were, they just transferred the plot to Lincoln. That's the way they did things. These guys were nothing more than mafiosos. That's all they were. That's the way things were done in those days, and that's why there was such a cover-up uh, for Lincoln's murder, because it went right through politicians. Lockheed <laughs> Baker, who was a detective at the time, said, I mean, there were dozens of military, politicians, and businessmen who wanted Lincoln at least kidnapped to get him out of the way because there was a pork for cotton deal going where England was making money, getting cotton, the South was getting pork because the Union killed all their cattle, and the South was sending cotton into the North. People were making money hand over fist. And then Lincoln stopped that when he was reelected, and everybody looked at Lincoln like, you son of a bitch, you double-crossed us. Yep. Um, without going on, let me, let me just read you this excerpt of a letter, because this is why I'm saying that England was involved in the whacking of uh, Lincoln. Here we go. 
James B. Barnes was involved in the pork for cotton deal. He's writing a Watson who worked for the DeMille um, a kind of import company out of New York City. And Barnes was really irritated because the head of the abduction plot was supposed to be John Wilkes Booth, who wasn't getting it done. And he was getting aggravated. And listen to this part, which is really indicting, uh, about the money in Liverpool. Uh, <clears throat> All right. Our friends in Liverpool are much upset by just this sort of thing on the part of the Lincoln Seward administration. And there is much speculation as to the effect it will have on the Crown's policy. Hello. <laughs> it is certain that the loss of 20, 250 million pounds will not be taken lightly. It is now clear that Lincoln allowed his friends to make agreements which would assure him of winning the election and that he is now repudiating those agreements so that he can, quote, become his own man. And this is the best line of all. This is the thought in Liverpool, and they say that it cannot be done. Hmm. Hello. Who were the only two that were really attacked? Lincoln and Seward. <laughs> now, was that the, a mad act by Booth? Absolutely not. That was a hit, as much as a mafioso hit. So there you go. There was 250 million pounds swinging in the breeze because Lincoln, who knew about the deal and didn't mind it, brought it to an end also to bring the war to an end. So in 1863, with the Emancipation Proclamation, with what happened at Gettysburg, Lincoln was the son of a bitch, as all presidents are, and he knew what he was getting into, but he had not the stomach to this. And he changed his mind, right. and he paid for it, and he knew he was going to pay for it. In comparison with Kennedy, they were sons of bitches too, him and Roddy. And I think what happened was when the old man had a stroke and couldn't hold rain on them, they would decide they were going to do it their way, and that could not be allowed to happen. Yeah. It seems to be that the case. And it's fascinating looking at this poem that we started out with, and basically <laughs> you look at it, uh, gangs serve lies, the passionate man plays his part, and the cold passion for truth hunts in no pack. And that is... Lastly, I'll let you get out of here, but I want to mention this. Gordon spoke to you, or on your show, uh, shared David Astle's The Babylonian Woe. Yeah. Right? The way of the world is not creating countries to keep people free, not to shelter huddled masses yearning to be free. It's about money. Countries are, in corp are corporations. It's about the money. That's all it is. And any of the patriotism and all the red and white blue bunting and all that crap is just putting mascara on a pig. The bottom <laughs> line is the corporation is only about one thing, the survival of the corporation. Uh, one other thing I would say, that there is um, a three-part series that was written by David Bazelon, who was really an attorney for, for corporations, but didn't like what he saw. And in the mid-'60s, he wrote about it. Corporations are from the pit of hell. They are not human beings. They are above the law. And nobody knows what to do with them, but behind them, that's where the bad stuff gets done. And right now, we are in corporate fascism. Absolutely. I'm all of us. Hey, um, I really don't want you to, to end. But I know you, I'm thinking of you in your own voice. So, I mean, like I said, we can do this for 15 hours straight if you want. But um, if you're willing, at least, 
because I know it's getting late for you. You've been going at it for a couple, three hours almost. Um, are you willing to go over that list of books? Yeah, I will. Okay, real uh, fast at the end. First here. of all, the Babylonian Woe, and that could be read online. Just do a search for it; it'll pop up. Right. David Assel passed it a number of years ago, but I mean, he nailed it. You know, you want to start a country, the first thing you do is um, create commerce. Then you bring in the bankers and the lawyers. And from that point on, the peasants get screwed. So, so yeah, that's just, it. That's, just let you know, with a Babylonian war, we're on part four, four. You know, we're getting ready to do part five now on the show. So actually, we've been okay. playing, actually, uh, Gordon Comstock's uh, recording of it and then uh, commenting afterwards. So. Uh, but, I mean, that gives you a global look. And, oh, yeah. The Lord knows that we are involved with banks. All right? He, he did not want that, and under his law, they would have not been banks. There would not have been money. There'd be no coins, not money at all. Yeah. When Christians get all upset about the stories of they're going to take in God we trust off the coins, take huh. it off. Absolutely. It's to the Lord. All right? That is not of him. Money is something that represents something that's not there most of the time. And you know what the bankers did, or the money changers, which, by the way, Jesus chased out, and uh, how many days later was he in front of Pilate? Right. The money changers would take a coin that they would make, and let's call it an ounce, and it says it's worth 10 bucks. Then what they would do later on is spin out that coin to a half an ounce and still make it 10 bucks. They just doubled their profit. That's uh-huh. why people hated the money changers. All right? And that's the way it is. Competition, capitalism, that's not of God because there's too many losers. It's not that he wants indolent people because he said if you do not work, you will not eat. But competition creates losers. And there's a lot of hurt people in capitalism, in socialism, in any ism you want to talk about. But be that as it may. So when the United States was created, all the Christians think, well, God shed his grace on us. The heck he did. He got out of the nation-making business. That's what happened back in 1 Samuel. Like, okay, you guys do what you want to do. We were an enterprise funded by the crown. That's who did this. For as many Protestants that came in here, there was many Catholics too, which is not talked about. In the state of Maryland, in the center of the 13 colonies, was Roman Catholic Central. And I mean, it was Britain Central. Take a look at the name of the counties, the cities. It's all British. And as Kelly found, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was land deeded to a John Pope in yep. the 17th century. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. I, I looked it up myself on it, too. <laughs> yes. So he was granted land on which became the District of Columbia. And what did he name his farm? What, uh, oh, it's something uh, Pope. Pope something. Well, the guy's name was Pope. That's what's funny. His name was John yeah. Pope. But uh, the rise in his property he called Capitoline Hill, which ah. is in the seven hills of Rome. Right, right. And the creek that ran by his property, he named the Tiber. Uh-huh. So, so he's, he's the one for the Tiber. That's right. You're right about that. I read about that. And then, of course, the you know, as we, we know, uh, this is relatively common knowledge, folks, it's uh, – uh, Washington D.C. His original name was Rome, Maryland. <laughs> yeah, couldn't be more obvious. In the state huh? <laughs> of Queen Maryland. Yeah, and Baltimore is named after the Calverts that were the uh, the lords of Baltimore. There were seven of them. 
Yeah. And you look at the counties, Anne Arundel, Prince George, so Kent. Um, yes, it was almost as if uh, Europe made sure it got a foothold there. And, of course, Baltimore um, was Jesuit Central, yep. and it was a city through which Lincoln was at peril for traveling. So they had to use doubles. They used false times. They had to get him through Baltimore because there were people waiting to waylay the train. Um, when John Surratt was tried for his part in the um, assassination, he did not face a military tribunal. Surratt faced a civil trial in Georgetown, which was also Jesuit Central, and he got off with a hung jury. Surratt is the one who fled the United States and through Canada was sent to the Vatican and became a Vatican zoologist. And the United States didn't want him back because they knew he knew too much. And they double-crossed John Surratt because they said they wouldn't hang his mother, and they did. And that's what pissed him off. So he goes to uh, Rome, is in the Vatican Guard, escapes them, and, of course, it was a planned escape. And Dave McGowan also did stuff on this. And he goes to Alexandria, Egypt, and he gets caught there. He comes back, he gets off. John Surratt was, was, was a righteous dude, though, I have to admit. And, and when he came back, he had things to say, but he had to shut up because they would have prosecuted and convicted him. Um, had he talked, uh, and they told him, look, you shut up, and you got your freedom. Forget what happened to your mother. Right. Uh, all right, so anyway, moving on from the Babylonian woe, there is a book that James Montgomery wrote that he never copyrighted or did anything with. It's called A Country Defeated in Victory. Mm-hmm. And you can read that on Think of Um Eric the Blacksmith brought a lot to the table, and if people would go to listen to his audios, he has brought forth the... Um, anti-federalist papers. Everybody's aware of the federalist papers, which were so glowingly loving of the new constitution and all this. The anti-federalists and some of them, you know, I mean, Patrick Henry knew exactly what was going on. He signed on because above all else, as the informant would say, he was a lawyer. Right. Um, he knew that that was the end of what this experiment was supposed to be. And he said, today we tilted more toward monarchy. But the anti-federalists were renowned people uh, in politics and um, high-profile persons who were not happy with it and knew exactly what was happening. Eric yeah. brought that to the table. Um, the Anti-Federalist Papers and also Hologram of Liberty by Kenneth Royce and an Economic Interpretation of the Constitution by Charles Beard. Um, Gordon brought to us all the works of Gustav Myers, and I know you're familiar with them. He was a muckraker who they did everything they could in the world to suppress but his works are out there. They're online to read, and Gordon shared quite a bit of them. All right. All right. I just have a couple more, and I won't belabor it. Lysander Spooner wrote something called The Constitution of No Authority, which is part of a larger work called No Treason. He wrote this in 1867. Also, Ferdinand Lundberg, two great books, The Rich and the Super Rich and Cracks in the Constitution. Excellent works. Um, and lastly, just for now, for these purposes, one other, Our Enemy, the State, by Albert Knott, written huh. in 1935. Okay. These people understood what was going on and voiced their opposition and their reasons why, and they were completely crushed. Everyone knows about the Federalist Papers. How many people know about the Anti-Federalist Papers? I never even heard of it. Until I, I never heard of it until I, uh, you brought it uh, about a year ago from you. 
I didn't even know such a thing. So, yeah, you know, so I mean, if you go to thinkofbebeaten.com, there's Eric's audios and there's as much information that he can offer to the public to support what he's saying and they can read it for themselves where possible. Gordon did the same thing and I have done the same thing as well. Let people read it and decide for themselves. I can understand people getting pissed when they hear it for the first time, as I did. But if you really want to give a reasonable amount of scrutiny, then you're going to find out what we found out. And all I can say is, hey, you know, if you're going to be angry at this, be angry at the sun, because it is the way of the world, <laughs> and this republic now is in the crosshairs of the world, and we're going to be dashed. Well, that was awesome. Thank you very much, Keith. Thank you for spending this evening uh, with me and those who are they're in the chat room, and all the many, many more that will be listening in the future. This show in particular, I don't know if you realize it, but I get a lot of downloads and a lot of listens after the recording. So, um, Because I, you know, the, part of the, the deal with my show is there's no set time, so I just let people go and go with it when they can. So, But it's been a, an interesting journey. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, I... What an eye-opener it's been. I'm sure for those who listen to this and will listen to all the many more who listen to the future, they'll be like, what? But, you know, it needs to be done. And someone, I, I'm grateful that someone like yourself was willing to actually to, to, to speak the truth, regardless of what the consequences would be. And, of course, the consequence primarily is that you're not very popular. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, the world doesn't like people that take, to speak the truth, but I do, so. And uh, I'm hoping, is it still going to go on? To, uh, we're going to still have a um, get-together Sunday? Yes. That'd be great. I think that'd be good for our friend Gordon, too. So, But um, hold on. If you could just stay on, I'm going to hang up the uh, end of the recording, and then we'll talk for a couple minutes, okay, after the recording. So thank you very much once again. Once again, folks, it's thinkorbebeaten.com. Uh, you will be hearing me talk about this over and over again for quite a bit of time um, because, well, quite frankly, there's not too much out there that's any better. <laughs> you know, for somebody especially who's just starting out and wants to really know the truth but really doesn't know where to go, this is the this, this is the first stop I recommend to go. Um, so with that, I say God bless and um, you just stay on, keep and Everyone else, have a good night. Here we go. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.